0: In this roundtable discussion, I am joined by my sister Kay Callum. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Now, for this roundtable discussion, we figured we would do something a little bit different with our movie reviews. And instead of doing one movie, we're doing a franchise. So we're going to record this in parts, and uh, I think there will be four or five, maybe more, maybe less, depends. Um, But what we just sat down and watched was Terminator.
1: From 1984.
0: And man, talk about time travel. Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a different world back then.
1: Oh, the haircuts or styles, I should say.
0: Part of why we decided to start with Terminator is we want to go see the current film in
1: mm-hmm.
0: theaters if we can. Or if this takes long enough, we'll catch it on Blu-ray. Um, but I had the other movies on DVD and Blu-ray. This one I had on DVD. So we sat down and we watched it. And again, 1984, this was the era of practical effects, of mm. stop motion of just a, a different type of filmmaking than we get now.
1: Well, of doing it physically instead of green screen. Um, yeah,
0: well, uh, green screen um there's still the compositing and stuff. True. So there may have still been green screen on this. True,
1: but less computer generated.
0: But even the green screen would have been done through uh film photographic techniques, not computer techniques. Yeah. So uh, totally different methodology than we have now
1: well and uh, at one point towards the very end uh arnold is as the terminator he's injured and he adopts a limp and it seems to be more a function of that is so that when they switch to the stop motion of the terminator model
0: the robotic version yeah yeah
1: he will now be matching that versus If that same movie and script were made today, they'd have put him in a motion capture suit.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the...
1: The robotic model would have matched his gait, etc. So that limp that they had as part of the stop motion wouldn't have been there. So I don't think the Terminator would have been injured in that manner.
0: Well, I am curious if the stop motion was done before or after. I would imagine maybe after. Mm. But either way, one was trying to match to the other Mm -hmm. as best they could versus, like you said, uh, today you would do it with motion capture and it would be dead on the money. Mm -hmm. Um, This was, again, 1984. It was just a, a movie they did. This was before the concept of summer blockbusters of you know tentpole movies and stuff like that the way we have it now
1: well and i think before the idea of establishing a franchise
0: oh yeah, absolutely this was a movie period
1: mm-hmm. it and was
0: james cameron it was a good movie
1: yeah it it's a good storyline it's You know, in those final scenes, you've got a character thinking through what am I going to tell my child and will what I tell my child influence the future, influence my own past, exploring these questions of time travel.
0: Well, and that's part of what I love about time travel movies. Mm -hmm. But to me, this entire one was almost a uh, fulfillment prophecy kind of a time travel. Yeah, yeah. Things happen because they happened and they will happen because they happened. Yeah. You know, Kyle got sent back because he had the photo of Sarah Connor at the end. We see the photo taken. Obviously, we've got spoilers in here, by the way. Oh, yeah. By now, people should be used to that, whether I say it at the beginning or not. I'll put it in the show notes, so I'm covered. Um, But we never saw a timeline in this movie in which nobody had gone back to set things.
1: Yeah, well, and it's an interesting movie because I can't really refer to this as a love at first sight storyline, because what they don't blatantly say, but they strongly feed you between the lines, is that for probably years, John Connor has been feeding kyle reese stories and information
0: essentially grooming him to be in love with his yeah, mother yeah which is a, a, a weird concept but he's also got a lot riding on it and we'll mm-hmm. hopefully get to that part of it in later films
1: yeah but it's this it's a wonderful concept when you think of it mm-hmm. you know that i know these two people are meant to be together And I'm going to do what I can so that when they meet, they are the most likely to actually fall in love.
0: Well, and again, aside from the end scene where she's recording the tapes for for John Connor later, that is all more implied than Mm -hmm. ever stated. Yeah. But it is a cool aspect of the whole thing. And again, for me, we're only seeing, I don't want to say the second pass of the timeline, but it almost seems that way. Rarely do you ever see a movie where the timeline goes through they jump back, things change and you see them you see the ripple effect mm-hmm. as it goes over and over again. Really the only movie I can point to that did that brilliantly uh was Looper. Yes. And at some point we'll we'll go over that film. Yeah. But this movie was well received. Yes. It took many years I think seven or eight, almost a decade before they got the sequel.
1: Well, and that's interesting because it was one of the first movies that I was aware of because of the age I was when it came out that had those catchphrases. That people were throwing at each other at school and stuff like that.
0: I'll be back, that kind of stuff. Exactly.
1: You know? And so I was actually sitting up and looking at the clock on the DVD player and realizing, first of all, that there were really only two of them yes. in this movie. And one of them was 36 minutes into the movie. Yeah, that, that was one the was first. about a half hour later. Yeah, a full hour into the movie.
0: Well, and that's at about kind of those major plot points, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of a three act structure. And I don't want to say it punctuated at those points because I don't think it did, but it was. Um,
1: no, but it, it close to that, though. It gave great significance to the moments, yeah. definitely. And I think that's part of why they were the right line at the right moment, and mm-hmm. I think that's why they hit with people. And got caught on, and you would hear people months later still using that line.
0: Well, and I think the writing of this film doesn't get necessarily as much credit as it should. Because, again, like you said, that's when we start getting those catchphrases. It's not like the first movie to ever have it.
1: Oh, certainly not. But but they've from-
0: lasted to this day, yes. 30 years later. Yes. It's also not the first film to spawn sequels. True. By this point, we had the very Superman movies uh, with Christopher Reeves. We had, uh, obviously, the Star Wars trilogy. Mm-hmm. So those had happened. Mm-hmm. But this was, again, one of those modern franchises, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and with Star Wars, it had the catchphrases also, but I think it had so many. Like, people seem to quote, like, dozens of yeah. things Yoda said.
0: Or I've got a bad feeling about it, never quote me the odds. The mm-hmm. A lot of them. This didn't have as many. And again, I think it wasn't that they were the lines were so great, but when they were used, it was so well timed. Mm-hmm. It's uh, one of the the more pivotal uh, sci-fi franchises. I think this is what really put um, Schwarzenegger on the map. Yes, uh, did wonders for Linda Hamilton's career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, almost every other character that had more than a scene or two that somebody who is part of the story not just an extra or whatever yeah uh, almost every one of them if you look them up in imdb they're not big name stars but man they've been working steadily forever
1: well and there were several people that got selected for just character positions but they were important ones like the wrong sarah who first gets killed and kind of establishes the Terminator is going to go after anyone with that name. Mm -hmm. And the moment the door opens and stuff, I'm like, I know that face. I can't name her to save my life, but that's a character actress who I know. Well, I looked her up on IMDb. She has over 190 credits.
0: Well, and that goes to the casting of this. Yeah. They got people who were good. Yeah. Not again, the, Uh, top of the top uh, name list of of movies and stuff like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Although some of these started to become that. Yes. And some of these have become staples again of character acting, whatever. But people who are so solid at their job, they keep working. Yes. And uh, to me, I find that very interesting. Mm Because you you can often watch something and it's like, who who are these characters? Or these actors, I mean, Mm -hmm. Uh, the characters are fine. But, you know, they never really do anything ever again. Or, wow, they became, you know, the Tom Cruise, the Mel Gibson, the, you know, whatever big box office star they they became. Yeah. So to have so many that are, that guy's familiar, him I've seen, this person I've seen. And yeah. some of it harkens back to, it's like, oh, I can place him from some show I watched in, in the late 90s or the, the mid 80s or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And now granted, these people have had 30 years to do it, but it's not like they were big at one point and then faded away yeah which again happens quite quite often
1: well, Hollywood's a rough business, oh absolutely. There are some people that decide to step away. There are some people that the business just isn't for, but there are some people who have the skill, the talent, the right mix, and they just keep working
0: well, and it may just be one or two things a year. It may just be a guest mm-hmm. spot on this show, a guest spot on that show a year later, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you do that for thirty years, or well, and even thirty years, and you've got a hundred credits or something. You've done it a couple of times. Yeah. So good cast, good writing, mm-hmm. great direction, stuff, amazing effects. Sam Winston just yeah did some some amazing stuff. Again, the uh, robotic Terminator at the end clearly stop motion, a little bit jerky or whatever, but that's how effects were at the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I was watching it, and I was actually sitting there going, you know, for the time, this was really good.
0: But not just for the time. Yes. For the technique. Yes. Even by today's standards, it's brilliantly done. Yeah. With stop motion, you're never going to have something that is fluid human motion.
1: Yeah.
0: It just, I don't think it's possible. Yeah. But the way they they articulated the the Terminator, uh, the, the fight scenes, the way they did some of the action effects... Again, a lot of car chases, a lot of explosions, fires, broken glass, you name it. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was still in the day of you do everything in the camera you can. Yeah. Not everything in the computer you can. Yeah. And neither is better or worse.
1: No, but I was impressed how much. I mean, it was proof how much can be done in the camera.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's one of those that has me really interested in seeing the current film, Mm -hmm. which I believe is trying to go back to the same time period. But we're going to be having it through the lens of today's technology, storytelling style, etc. And with this first one, it was a very much almost a predestination paradox. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, I thought the next one was almost the opposite of that. You can prevent everything. And then one of the others was almost a, well, you know, it, it could go either way.
1: Well, I recall... Term- and we'll, we'll watch. Yeah, the- yeah. My recollection is Terminator 2 is the Schwarzenegger Terminator is sent back to be the protector. Yeah. And a different Terminator, Um, I want to say. Robert Patrick from yes. Um, Scorpion. Yes, is sent back to be the one attacking. And there again, another actor who we've just seen in countless projects since.
0: Yeah. But to me, the way they go back and forth as to do things happen because they happen can you prevent things Mm -hmm. you know and that kind of deal is part of the fun of the franchise Mm -hmm. you know it's not just this is always the way it has to be
1: Well, and there is always this pressing desire and need to protect Sarah Connor to protect John Connor to protect the people who will fight for humanity in the future
0: I'll be honest uh, if this were a tv series and not a series of movies one of the things i think would be fun would be you've got the first arc or whatever which would cover this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that we see in this movie do one or two other arcs but have one arc where you know basically you wind up over the course of each season covering the same time frame Mm -hmm. but the different iteration of the timeline because people travel back in time Mm. and have one of them be somebody other than kyle reese gets sent back yeah and you've got a different father for john yeah you know because there's a lot you could do with this basic structure and story and i was also very surprised because uh, it'd been a while since i'd watched this movie uh, hence wanting to rewatch it and record about it um how much time we spent in the future
1: mm, mm-hmm.
0: and i had remembered bit- as i was seeing the films it's like oh yeah now i remember You know, the bit with, you know, Kyle going underground and all the refugees and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was an odd juxtaposition of they're using old school tube TVs as fireplaces. Yes. uh, And, you know, scavenging for food and clothing versus all of the soldiers have nice uniforms, uh, the headsets that are all working and. Mm-hmm. some stuff like that so
1: though now that i think about it, the headsets and radios might have somehow been scavenged off the terminators who shouldn't have needed them
0: there were a couple of things with the terminators if you stop and think about it you're gonna send a machine back in time you've got blaster technology put the blaster into the thing so he comes back with his own weapon yeah yeah aspects like that uh, nothing nothing major um i will be curious if we get quite the lightning effect in the subsequent movies we got when we traveled through time there are a few parts there where i thought it was a little over the top and i'll be honest there are a couple of parts where i thought it was you know i'm not gonna actually watch this I'll, I'll block my vision for that when he's repairing himself as a terminator that stuff it was yeah i'm sure brilliant effects but uh, not something i need to see
1: When the moment Arnold arrived, I was reminded he'd been a Mr. Universe, as I recall. And I'm like, oh, yes, this was the showcase that we cast Arnold because he was in excellent shape.
0: Yeah, but that's also going to be fun through the other movies as he ages, how that works. And that's part of why they need current technology to tell some of these later films. So you can have a younger Schwarzenegger when you've only got an older one to work with yeah so it was it's a fun film it's it's obviously a classic it Um, held
1: up really well especially the story
0: it did but to me it plays as much as a time travel film but also as a uh i don't say monster of the week horror of the week but suspense film of the week
1: yeah i see that
0: it's it's almost a Stephen King novel in some respects.
1: Yeah. But you know, the
0: unstoppable killing thing. A horror yes. film in some respects.
1: Yeah. But I see why somebody looked at this and said, you know, this was world building.
0: Well, and there's more we can do with this. Yeah. And I liked how in this one they didn't lock down when the war happened, when things the the future timeline. They they go to Uh, The future we see is, what, 2029.
1: Yeah, and I liked that even today, that's still the future. I liked that they set it far enough ahead.
0: We'll see how far in the future that is, if they, you know, do the trilogy they plan on doing with uh, the current one or not, or the next time they decide to reboot the franchise, Uh, which, you know, hey, it's fine.
1: Yeah, well, but I guess my point is, if in 1984, they had set that future as being 2010...
0: Or 2015 and stuff like that.
1: You know, then watching it today, it would not have held up as well for me.
0: Well, Back to the Future is 1985 and they go to 19 or uh, 2015, I think. So, I mean, it's a common problem. It is. So the fact they didn't have that was good. And it was clearly set in the 80s, but didn't feel hideously antiquated. No, it didn't. Um, There were a couple of times where it's like, okay, people are smoking cigarettes. You don't see that in films these days. A few times where, man, if they only had the the cell phone, yes. uh, wow, that Walkman is big, a a few things like that. But
1: there were several times when I was sitting there going, man, nobody's recording it with their cell phone to make a video or a selfie. But that's
0: the difference between having shot the film in in the 80s versus shooting it today and setting it in the 80s. Mm -hmm. There would be. References. It would almost make fun of what we didn't have back then. Yeah. And again, I'm curious with the current film how they do that. Yeah. So the the game plan is to to go through the other films mm-hmm. and maybe between uh, after watching the third, maybe before the fourth. I think that's where the TV series goes in. Oh, okay. So we might want to watch maybe the pilot of that. Hmm. Um. Just to kind of set that in there, maybe not at least talk about it a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I thought the TV show, uh, the I... Sericana Chronicles, was very good.
1: Yeah, I liked that show.
0: I really wish there was something somewhere, and maybe a listener would know if there is that would tell how they plan to tie off that storyline. Yeah. Um, but really, with the with Terminator two, that was the movie that just blew the doors off expectations of what a summer movie could do, what a blockbuster movie could do, and it went from the practical effects that this had to the CG effects of morphing technology and mm. stuff like that, it it raised the bar for movies significantly to things that now we just take for granted. It's like, well, hell, you can do that on a home computer.
1: Well, and it was a prime example of if you're going to take the story forward and make a quality sequel to a movie that created a quality world, you can do it a couple years later and the audience will embrace it.
0: Well, in this case, again, it was maybe a seven, ten-year gap, but they got all the leads or the the you know the the, the main leads they needed, uh, and they got James Cameron again. Yeah. So if you're going to go with the same creators and stuff, not that you can't go wrong that way, but they didn't go wrong. Yeah. And I'm curious how the third and fourth movies hold up. Yeah. So with that, uh, I think we're going to stop for now, and then uh, we'll come back once we've had a chance to watch. Uh, the next movie. Now, obviously, we're not doing these back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back to because back to back to back to back, they're like all two-hour movies, and there's only so many hours in the day. But I'm hoping we can get through these in uh, fairly short order.
1: That's the plan. Cool.
0: Cool. So we have just finished watching the special edition version of Terminator 2 Judgment Day off the Ultimate Edition DVD set. Again, I'd gotten these years ago, so I've apparently just got the DVD versions versus the Blu ray versions. Uh, If and when they ever give up the ghost on the franchise, I may, you know, get whatever the then current technology is. This one was done.
1: In 1991?
0: 91, so seven years after the first. Uh, And man, what a world of difference in special effects.
1: Well, and they showed it right up front in the uh, logos for THX that did the sound and stuff, which I thought was entertaining. Well, it made
0: sense because leading up to this film, one of the big reasons to go see it was all the talk about the the morphing technology and the computer effects and stuff like that, which were phenomenal.
1: Well, and... Through the majority of the movie, I would say it was well used in service of the plot, in service of the movie, and up until the final sequence, it didn't feel like they were simply using it gratuitously.
0: I didn't even feel in the, the final sequence they used it gratuitously.
1: There were a couple times where he was being split into odd swirls of shape.
0: Indulgently, I'll grant.
1: Okay, indulgently.
0: But the fact that they could do that, uh, I thought was impressive.
1: It was a world of difference in seven years.
0: I think the stuff most people recall when they think about the Terminator franchise come from this movie.
1: I can see that.
0: There are a few things that, that originated in the previous one, but the come with me if you want to live, I think it's as much this version of the line as the previous film
1: well and it's used so well here by arnold it comes at the one hour mark Mm -hmm. which on the one hand you're waiting for it you're expecting it even if you don't know it's a catchphrase of each movie just because it feels like something that should be coming
0: well and again watching this knowing the story is very different than watching it not knowing the story agreed because you've got two Terminators who've come back. Uh, the first one in this case is The Protector. The second one is The Threat, which is a reversal of the first film. And that's that's a common occurrence with, mm-hmm. with sequels, is to do some reversals. But the time travel I think most people think of, seeing the bubble expand, the the cutaway of the semi, that, at least for me, is what I tend to recall.
1: Well, and them arriving in that hunched-over pose it almost looks like a panel out of a comic book really because they strike that pose and stay in it
0: arnold going to the bar to get the clothes from the biker yes that is all iconic terminator stuff and this is one of those cases one of those few cases i think where the second film paid respect and continued the story of the first but really raised everything to a whole nother level
1: well, and it was proof to me that the first one built the world, mm-hmm. and this one just proved how how much richness there was in that world they had built, how much of a story could be told, even if you went with a similar-sounding initial premise.
0: But there were aspects that I believe were new to this film, Skynet.
1: There were, and in fact, that was something that the first time they used the phrase Skynet, I asked you, am I imagining it, or did we not hear that at all in the I, previous one?
0: I don't think we heard that. Obviously, nothing about Dyson, uh, the creator of, of Skynet, um, now the, Cyberdyne.
1: They mentioned Cyberdyne in the previous one.
0: Okay, okay.
1: But uh, the Terminator was destroyed at a different robotics place. In the previous one. It wasn't Cyberdyne at that point.
0: Right. And there was mention of the war. I don't know if the term Judgment Day was used in the first film or not. It was used here and given a date.
1: Yeah. And that was a bit confusing to me just in terms of this is technically Terminator 2 Judgment Day. But this doesn't happen on Judgment Day as an event defined in the movie.
0: That was something that always bothered me as well is if if you're doing judgment day that should be the the clock i mean to me the first film should have been it it's gonna happen Mm -hmm. time is what it is you time travel because you time traveled the second film almost the reversal and the third is you know we've got evidence it could go either way Mm -hmm. and it should be the ticking clock down to judgment day was going to be at this point
1: Hmm. Well, and here again, they took the time, this time in the kitchen of uh, Miles Dyson's home with him and his wife, to have one of those, let's stop and let's think, by having this conversation, by having this near-death encounter, are we changing the future? Does this event alone change things? And the wife is saying, well, of course it is. Your whole perspective on the world has changed if you know what you're inventing could be used for evil.
0: But it it comes down to time travel films are faith-based plots to a large degree. Because when you have those, either those moments here where they actually sit down and think about it, Mm. or when they're in the moment and stuff is, is happening that should change stuff, the characters have to operate on faith that the timeline is indeed going to change, because they have no direct evidence. Now, there are some films, uh, Back to the Future, um, uh, Project Almanac, that we mm-hmm. recently watched, uh, is another one where you get some evidence in the moment that the time travel is having an impact. Yeah, uh, well, but but it comes down to few are like Voyagers, the old TV show. Where you've got the Omni and the red light, green light. Yeah. You don't have that that immediate feedback of, hey, we fixed it.
1: Yeah. In this one, the only thing you really had was the Terminator who's telling you history as he knows it. Mm -hmm. And the history he knows does not include Miles Dyson firebombing all of his research, everything he has access to, and committing suicide by cop effectively. And that scene, actually, I had multiple problems with at the time, because the cops come storming in and kill him, and I'm not sure they really know whether he's a hostage or not when they shoot him down.
0: Yeah, for all they know, he was working with. That's one of those where the news coverage after the fact Mm. could be as easily, you know, this guy was taken hostage by this one guy and the place blown up, or this guy was working with and mm-hmm. committed suicide and blew, blew up his place of work. I mean, yeah. it's, it's open to interpretation.
1: Yeah, well, and there was a point, in fact, we both commented on it at the time it happened. One of the security guards says he's going to call the cops and say that that guy from the mall broke in. And we're both saying, wait a sec, was there news footage in the background of some scene we didn't see where he made the local news?
0: It's very common for writers to write a scene with the knowledge they have of what's gone previous versus writing it with the characters having Mm. the appropriate knowledge they should have given what's happened before.
1: Yeah, well, and it really was a case of some local news in the background. Predominant enough, we were aware of it. Showing Arnold at the mall being thrown through the window by a cop. So clearly he's the bad guy, the cop is the good guy. And people saying, you know, Be on the lookout for this person.
0: They could have done that. They didn't.
1: Yeah. It would have helped.
0: In the first movie, we saw news footage of other Sarah Connors dying that fed into the plot. Yeah. That made certain things work. But the other question you asked while we were watching this, we've got the same shrink, the one who used to be with the cops, is now at the Correctional Institute where Sarah Connors is being held. Yeah. And the whole question is, he's questioning her entire story, even though he knew the he knew uh, uh, kyle reese
1: he met kyle reese he knew all the cops that were killed in the police station 17 years ago and yet he's acting like there is not a single shred of evidence that anyone ever tried to kill her he was there yeah when every sarah connor in los angeles was targeted and she was taken in protective custody but he thinks she has an unfounded persecution complex
0: And that's not to say he should believe the time travel aspect of her story, whatever. Oh, agreed. But he ought to at least be conceding there is something. He should have been, and this is the time it was written in, so it wouldn't have been, but he should have been diagnosing her with some kind of PTSD.
1: Yes, yes. As
0: a defense mechanism, she has accepted this elaborate thing that this other crazy guy said Mm -hmm. because she has no better way to explain it.
1: Well, and later when the cops come in to talk to her about the current events which basically support everything she's been telling the, cop, uh, the mm-hmm. shrink or at least portions of what she's been telling. She's been saying, you have to let me visit my son. He's in danger. I need to tell him. No, no, you're imagining that. And then her son gets kidnapped, according to the cops. And they come to ask her questions about and say, can't you tell us anything useful? Why won't you cooperate? And the shrink is in the room.
0: Well, and they're saying your son is in danger. Doesn't this worry you?
1: And the shrink is in the room saying, you know, she's just been withdrawing further and further from reality, saying outlandish things. And I'm like, no, she's been telling you exactly what the cops are now saying. And you're not even rethinking any of your diagnosis. I'm ready to commit the shrink.
0: Well, and it was fun to see him in this film. And I believe he'll be in the next film.
1: Good. I hope he's a patient at the shrink ward.
0: I hope so, too, because he saw two Terminators. Yes. One of which clearly could do things that are unfathomable, the walking through the the cell door sort of a thing. Yeah. For the liquid metal one. I don't know that he saw much out of the Schwarzenegger Terminator other than just, you know, absorbing bullets and still standing. Yeah. But there's kind of more to that story to be told. Hopefully we'll get it. I don't know if we will or not. Uh, Because I really, I don't have good memories uh, or clear memories of the other, the next two films.
1: I agree. And one thing I want to point out on this one, because we were talking in the first one about just the great casting they do. I'd forgotten Joe Morton was Dyson. Mm -hmm. I remember Dyson was a great character and they did a great job with him. But Joe Morton is just such a fabulous actor.
0: He's been in tons of stuff. I think uh, one of his best roles was Eureka. Definitely. Where he played uh, one of the lead characters there throughout. He was one of the few that survived the entire run.
1: Henry was the town mechanic slash mayor slash I'd say go to him anytime you needed a guy with a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. And well, he just and he was played it so well.
0: Almost the other side of the buddy cop aspect with the sheriff of that town. Anyone who mm-hmm. hasn't watched Eureka. Check it out. It's it was a sci-fi show uh, a number of years ago about a uh, a sheriff who comes across a uh, a town that's filled with with scientists of you know genius plus caliber that are working for the government essentially.
1: And let us note that the sheriff wasn't exactly a dumb jock, but he was no scientist.
0: It was almost what if Andy Griffith from Mayberry? Yes. Was in charge of a town of scientists who are building death rays, weather control things, and things go a little awry.
1: The town next to Area 51, where all of the researchers live.
0: Yeah. I think it was one of the better shows that sci-fi did.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. So, so having
0: having Joe Morton, you know, again, it goes back to they, they... for the first film, uh, and to a little bit of a lesser degree here, they cast a lot of really strong people.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to say her name wrong, but uh Esip Hatha Merkinson I think is how you say it, but the one who played Dyson's wife. Uh-huh. uh huh, She was on Law and Order for over 380 episodes. Um, she's just done all kinds of good stuff. And again, very talented actress. And I keep coming back to that scene in the kitchen where that I think was a hard scene for them to play with, you know, you've got the Terminator laying out to this yeah. couple. Here's how you are going to be responsible for 3 billion deaths.
0: It, it was a scene in their lives. That was a, a bar none complete turning point. Yeah. Their, their lives were one way before that evening in a completely different reality afterwards. Yeah. And they played it beautifully. Um, Some of the other people, again, Robert Patrick who played the, the new Terminator. Yeah. Who went on to go do, among other things, The Unit, and um he's currently in Scorpion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, doing a great job there. And, of course, this is a movie that's, what, 24 years old? Yeah. So, they're a little younger back then.
1: Well, and going back to memorable scenes, uh, he was on the motorcycle inside the building, and the helicopter starts coming around the building, and I perked up to you with, I remember this part. Well...
0: It was a very physical role for him. There's a lot of running to do, a lot of stunts to do. Granted, they do have stunt people for some of that, but like some of the running, he had to go do. Yes. You know, and not look like an exhausted person while doing it.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And the number of special effects, the number of of physical stunts in this movie were were astounding and how they, for the most part, all played in service of the story. Mm Mm-hmm. You could argue maybe they got a little indulgent, maybe they went a the little overboard here or there, but this was the movie that I think changed films. Mm. It it was a sequel. Mm-hmm. Nobody had expectations that it would be what it became. It moved forward special effects. It became, I think, one of the major first summer blockbuster films. It was um, again a turning point in films.
1: Mm. It's funny because they were doing all these amazing special effects on camera and yet there are two scenes where someone is in the scene and they basically are face-to-face either with themselves in the same wardrobe or with another version of Mm themselves and you watch the closing credits and it's, nope, that's their twin.
0: Yeah, the security guard at the uh, the mental hospital who... Gets cloned, essentially, by the uh, the evil Terminator twin brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Lyndall Hamilton's twin sister mm-hmm. uh, played her a time or two here and there. mm mm-hmm. uh, Which is just a smart move.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, why use effects unnecessarily when you can have real people do things and you can get in the camera and it can look 100% real?
0: Well, it's a little surprising sometimes how certain actors or actresses have siblings that are either literally their twin or functionally their twin. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Ashmore brothers. Yes. Uh, Aaron and Sean. Yes. When they did the twinning of Aaron Ashmore's character in Warehouse, I don't know if they used his brother or not, but it's one of those where, you know, they coulda. Yeah. Um, another example of that was Nicholas Brendan in Buffy, who's got a, a twin brother. So, I think for one episode, they may have actually used him for that sort of thing. yeah. If you can do it, yeah. you know, and it's just a, a quick scene and, and whatnot, why not? Even yeah. if it's not a quick scene, if they've got the, the acting chops for that. Exactly. And if not, you can coach them to get through a couple of scenes.
1: Well, and the other thing I noticed in this movie was they had a chance in the future scenes to look at what they had done seven years earlier with the models and with the whole different concept of special effects and say, you know, if we shot that today, it would look like this. And there were a few frames where it was the uh, the motorized tank-like vehicles going right. over the skulls. I'm like, I swear that's frame for frame. What we saw in the other movie, just with the modern effects.
0: It was, well, seven-year-later effects, because yes. it's 24 years ago. It was one, though, where... And I don't know if it's just the quality of the transfer for the DVDs, if we'd have a different experience, if I'd gotten a newer version of these films on Blu-ray or what. But the first one felt more 80s film, if mm. you will, because, mm-hmm. well, that's what it was.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But this this one, uh, Terminator 2, the shots felt clearer, crisper, mm-hmm. uh, more, I don't say well, say, more realistic by and large. It really the only place where I think the effects in this film Fell down was when you've got uh, the Terminator, uh, Sarah Connor, and John Connor in the car, and it's very clear they're sitting in a car and there's a film going on behind them or in front of them as they're driving. Yeah. You know, it was TV level effects at that point versus everything else they did.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I really can't explain why. Well, I can explain why I felt that way because it clearly looked that way, but too, I can't explain why they, I don't want to say cut corners there, but why that one wasn't pulled off when you've got some of this other stuff just going off without a hitch. Yeah. So if you were to only watch one Terminator film, and granted we've still got three Hmm. more, the other two on DVD and the one in the theaters to watch, at this point I think it's a toss-up between the first and the second. I think the second is the much better film, the more memorable film, but I think you kind of got to watch the first to really appreciate this one.
1: Yeah, well, and like I said, the first builds the world, but in the second, they don't assume you saw the first. They try and give you enough of the information out of it, and they do a lot of that in the form of having John Connor as a kid talking to this Terminator who's been sent to protect him.
0: Well, it's interesting because I often, in the world of comics, hear complaints about continuity, how bad it is, how horrible it is. And these movies have continuity. Mm -hmm. But what the second film has that a lot of comics lack that drive the complaint of continuity is this film had accessibility. Yes. It reset the scene. We get the the shrink basically recounting Sarah Connor's delusions. Yes. Uh, The future, this guy came back, they look like humans, yada yada. Basically, not recapping the film, but recapping the premise of the world. Yes. That made this accessible.
1: Well, and one of the scenes that I really enjoyed, uh, it was mostly a voiceover, surprisingly. But it was when John was trying to teach the Terminator how to do the high five and the low five Mm -hmm. and stuff. And she's realizing that of all the men she let come through their lives to teach them things... This Terminator might actually be the best father figure.
0: What I loved about that voiceover is it implied a certain amount of story Mm -hmm. that happened between the two films that we've never seen. Yeah. Now, what takes place, I'm going to say in an alternate timeline, because I think it is after this but before the next film, is the Sarah Connor Chronicles.
1: Yeah, and see, I feel like that's an alternate timeline because I remember in the TV show them going and seeing Miles Dyson as family.
0: I thought so too.
1: And yet, Dyson very clearly died here.
0: They might have seen his wife.
1: Well, that's interesting.
0: I think they saw his wife.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: But they also do some uh, time jump forward or whatever to get it to present day. Whatever they do, a few things there mm-hmm. that um. To me, it's its its own pocket continuity. Yeah. You know, and it's, it was a great TV show, a lot of fun. I wish they had either gotten a third season or a TV movie to finish it off.
1: Yeah. Because
0: they left it on a fascinating cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, but with this film, we got a good beginning, middle, and end. It's a good complement and carry on from the first. Uh, it was really well done. It, I think, is the high watermark for the series. Mm-hmm. And- it's, it's totally well worth watching. It's, it's a lot of fun. Again, to me, it's it's kind of the iconic uh, Terminator.
1: Yeah, and this one really flushes out a lot of what the first one both states and implies about the future. Like you said, giving the date to Judgment Day and when the war takes place and how humanity first started getting destroyed. And they give the reason why Skynet went from simply being sentient to attacking
0: But it's interesting how the first movie ends on a note of the timeline is what the timeline is and it's going to happen. This one ended on a note of the story is done. We've prevented it.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, but in the first one, the message back to her was, you know, the future can be changed. It's not set.
0: Right. And again, I think that leads to certain events that that set up this film. Yeah. But I thought thought the tone of the two was almost diametrically opposed.
1: Yeah, the end of the first one was almost a, uh, not sure the word I want, but but almost a, uh, I don't want to say downtrodden, but... Uh, well,
0: it ended on a note of hope, but that there's a storm coming before that.
1: Yeah, well, a, a note of, I have to become a warrior. I have to become stronger. I have Absolutely. this burden I have to bear.
0: There will be hard times coming, but we can make it through. Yes. Whereas this one implied again judgment day may should not come
1: yeah this was a my burden's been lifted yeah and i have a whole different concept of hope for the first time in 17 years
0: so very interesting uh, great film it i think got at least nominated i think it got some academy awards
1: interesting um,
0: so again to me it was a pivotal movie in the history of films mm-hmm. uh, and a game changer in many respects and there aren't many action films that I think fall into that category. Agreed. I would say Die Hard does because it kind of almost created a new genre or subgenre or whatever uh, of that sort of a thing. But this one in terms of, again, special effects, uh, the types of expectations for summer movies, that sort of a thing. Hmm. Um, definitely a high watermark uh, in many respects. Is it the best film possible, the best writing, the best characterization? No, of course not. But it's a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. And it, it did what it set out to do phenomenally. Yeah. Again, James Cameron writing and directing. Uh, that's, I believe, his last hands-on um, work on the Terminator stuff, other than maybe, well, other than the uh, the Universal Studios uh, ride they did, the 3D mm. adventure, or whatever, mm-hmm. as kind of part of this with this cast. Interesting. Uh, I wish there had been some way for them to have included some sort of semblance of that experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, now we talked in the first one about uh, the catchphrases. I was surprised. I mean, we had John Connor trying to teach the Terminator to be more human. And that was really um, a subplot throughout, Mm -hmm. was the trying to humanize the artificial intelligence. Well,
0: him connecting to them, them turning on the learning ability, the, the right mode, if you will. Yeah. And it gave a character arc for both the Terminator and for John Connor.
1: Yeah. But I thought it was interesting. It was two hours and ten minutes into the movie before we got the hasta la vista baby that so many people came out quoting.
0: If you think back through the movie, though, The Terminator does not say much.
1: Oh, very true. Very true.
0: So versus some of the other films where he's just Schwarzenegger or whatever the lead character actor Mm -hmm. is, is just throwing lines out left, right and center.
1: Yeah, but I just thought it was interesting that it was so late in the film, and I'm wondering if that's part of why it left such an impression on people.
0: Again, I think it was less the line than the w- when it was delivered.
1: Mm-hmm. The when, the how, yeah.
0: It's at the right emotional moment of the film. Mm-hmm. And again, both of those things, well, they happen, you know, again, at the mm-hmm. one hour and two hour mark, this was a, a two hour and four 40-minute almost film?
1: I think so, because we did the extended footage, yeah.
0: So not exactly, again, at the the two turning points for a three-act structure.
1: No, but was it one hour in that we got the uh, Come With Me If You Want to Live? Mm-hmm. Uh, two hours in that we got the I'll Be Back. So and again, then- that
0: first one, the team is assembled, let's move on to the adventure. Yeah. And the other one is kind of the you know uh, one of the major action moments near the end
1: definitely so
0: again you look at the three act structure they're kind of at a right, around the right points yeah because it's not a line you say at the end at the chapter break almost
1: mm-hmm. well it's not a line you just throw out in the middle of a paragraph and keep going
0: exactly you've got to have the right moment the right mm-hmm. story beat for it yeah and again that goes back to good writing in writing in service of the story not in writing in service of the the sound bites. Yes. So.
1: Well, and I would say that the greatest thing for me out of this movie was a terminator earning the trust of Sarah Connor. Yes. I think having watched the first movie, you would say that seems impossible. So the fact that the second movie did that and believably. Yes. was very impressive to me.
0: Well, and again, it Ends on a moment of if a Terminator can see the value of life, maybe we have hope. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that's not stated is if she can see the value of a Terminator. In other words, yeah. there is that possibility of peace.
1: Yeah. So to me, it just had so much more to it than I think people say, oh, well, it's just a Terminator movie.
0: It actually had some depth to it, yeah. depth to it. And again, it had solid writing. Yes. As to the having death to it, which was a misspeak there a second ago, the, uh, the death toll on this is surprisingly low.
1: Well, and I read somewhere way, way back around the time it first came out that they had been told by someone, if you're going to make a sequel, it has to have a lower death toll than the previous one because that was a big complaint. And that's why in this one, they have the bit of John Connor making him swear he's not going to kill people. And it's a great subplot.
0: Well, and I like it because he's kneecapping a lot of people or shooting them in the legs, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, And they're getting hurt and suddenly stopping fighting. It's like, really, they could still be shooting. Yeah. But it also, particularly when they're at Cyberdyne and the Terminator is kind of getting the police to back off by blowing up their cars and stuff, there's a certain... I would have loved to have seen a line of dialogue where the cops are like, you know, oh, he's missing everything. No, he's hitting what he's aiming at and he's not trying to kill us. Yeah. We should count our blessings in.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it was Entertainment Weekly at the time did an article comparing the deaths between the two movies and the kneecappings between the two movies. And it was a, you know, the first one had like no kneecappings. Yeah. Whereas the second one, and then they went into the whole, do you count both knees when they both get shot on the same person, etc. But it was an enormously high number of kneecaps. There's a lot
0: of, of shooting going on and stuff. Yeah. And but I prefer it when the characters have to be or choose to be a little more creative yes. than just blow somebody, shoot them, and they're dead, and that's it.
1: Yeah, well, and like you said, I liked the taking out the cars to scare them back. I thought that was great. I thought it was funny that in both movies, uh, the Terminator drove a car headfirst into a security desk, basically.
0: And again, some of those things are intentional callbacks.
1: Yeah, yeah. The final location, very reminiscent of the final location in the first movie. Yeah. But decidedly different. So I th- I just thought they did a lot of nice things in well, the writing, the locations, etc.
0: In writing a sequel, it's a challenge of... How do you stay true to the original without retreading the original? How do you be different without being so different it's not good? Mm-hmm. How do you keep the, 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 the structure, the, the DNA of the property the same?
1: How do you respect the people who like the original? Yeah. And I think they did all of those things.
0: Absolutely. And it was just, again, from an action movie point of view, from a story point of view, they did everything they set out to do and then some.
1: Well, and I think 24 years later, it holds up absolutely so now with all these high hopes based on terminator 2 dare we watch the third movie
0: absolutely with the expectation third and fourth i think are comparatively forgettable films and this was the high water mark this is a tough act to follow
1: i will agree with that last statement wholeheartedly
0: and i don't expect the other two to to, to hold up because i've seen them but i don't remember them and they were a lot more recent
1: yeah interesting i think i've seen one of the two so we'll see
0: all right, so with that, we'll uh, stop here and uh, watch the next movie, although maybe not immediately. So we have watched Terminator 3, The Rise of the Machine, once again on DVD. And this is ironic. This is the one that actually covers the events of Judgment Day and therefore could have and should have been called Judgment Day. But, oh, wait, they'd use that title.
1: And, we'll. To me, they proved it wasn't the machines that rose up.
0: Yes. The whole thing is it's software.
1: So all around, I got to question the title.
0: This is the first one without James Cameron Is he the director of the writing. And the direction was fine. Mm -hmm. The writing is where I felt it was not as good. It was uh, extended action set pieces, which, you know, is fun and good, but To the point of really kind of, let's stop the story, let's do a prolonged car chase, let's get back to the story. Mm -hmm. Whereas I felt in the other movies, the action was part and parcel of the film. Yes. Not the plot was just setting them up. So I was a little disappointed with that. Uh, The cast this time, Nick Stahl has done some other movies and whatnot. Uh, Claire Danes has done quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, we got Schwarzenegger again. Uh, Some of the other various characters and stuff we get... Uh, even some some of the bit players I recognized from a few places.
1: Yeah, Kristana uh, Loken has done a lot of TV movies mm-hmm. and some TV shows, and she was the other Terminator.
0: Uh, the cop she gets pulled over by at one point was Jay avacone who, among other things, uh, was a, I don't even say recurring, he showed up a couple of times on Stargate SG-1, particularly at the beginning, uh, as one of kind of the transition characters from the movie. Mm-hmm. So there are, and again, we got the the shrink again from the previous movies. We got a lot of of actors that are, again, more character actors, but solidly working character actors for the most part. Agreed. Um, I thought the acting by and large was was good, Mm -hmm. but I didn't feel this story had quite the same punch or the same depth that the previous ones did.
1: No, but this was, again, it was just trying to fill in things we had been given and knew. So we were given more about Skynet. Mm-hmm. We were given the formation of Skynet and what it is. So it it fit with the world they'd given us. It moved the story forward. So it wasn't a throw the sequel out, it's worthless. Agreed. It just wasn't up to what I was hoping for. Well,
0: and it also... Dealt with the judgment day has been postponed, not avoided. Mm-hmm. How come is that inevitable? And they gave some good explanations. They did. You know, and I felt it was, again, true to the spirit of the thing.
1: Well, and John Connor is a very good, very complex character. He's got a good heart. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he's talking to Claire Dane's character and he's saying, You know, what if you knew? That in the future, you could be this this great leader, this amazing person, but for that to happen, an enormous tragedy would have to happen.
0: Yeah. You could do something truly amazing, maybe the most amazing thing ever done, but for that to happen, something horrible has to happen. Yeah. And just the weight of that on him. Yeah. So, which is, again, and, and Nick Stahl did a, a great job playing that. Yeah. Um.
1: And they dealt well with the what happened to his mother mm-hmm. and stuff. I I like that. And I liked the she was diagnosed with cancer, but she fought to live past the date she knew judgment day to be. Yes. I like that. Yeah.
0: Well and I also liked how this set up the the Terminator weapon tree. Yes. The big tanks, the flying ships. Granted on a smaller scale so you could use them in an indoor office environment.
1: But it was the the formation, the where the roots and where this came from, which was very nicely done.
0: Yeah, there were a few uh, places and spots in the story where I felt either things were left on the cutting room floor or just not in the script. Yeah, we get to oh, we've got to get to this military base, and then suddenly everybody has just magically made it into the base.
1: Yeah, there's no explanation for, okay, do they need a visitor's pass? Is the daughter on an always access? There's no, let's walk them through the door scene. Did
0: they shoot their way through? I mean, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. It's just suddenly they're in the heart of the base. And not just they're in the heart of military base, but they're at a, at a very critical moment. With weapons. Well, with weapons, but also when the base should be on high alert. Yes, so even if they didn't have weapons, it would have been hard to get there with weapons. It's like, really? Come on. Yeah. So there are a few things like that that get in almost to the cliche summer blockbuster area.
1: True. But one of the things I loved about the final scene is John Connor seems to be having one of those slump your shoulders. Why did this happened. Why did things turn out this way? This doesn't seem to be how my destiny should go. And then the voices start coming over the speakers mm-hmm. calling out to what, if they hadn't been sent there to be safe by her father, would be an empty room. And he's the only voice on the other end of that microphone for all these people needing someone to answer the question of what's going on.
0: Well, and it's almost... That he didn't need all of this training, didn't need to be this great fighter. He just needed to be there, which to me... So far. So far. But to me, that almost undercuts part of it. Yes. But it was a powerful moment.
1: It's a powerful moment. And I'll I'll say yes and no to what you're saying, because in this moment, all he needs is to be there. Yes. But there's still more to come in his life and a lot more to face.
0: Well, absolutely. And I love that end scene and stuff, because in that... 30-year-old base and stuff. First off, it's a really cool-looking set.
1: I loved the TV cameras from the 1960s and the very much a throwback to the Red Scare.
0: Well, I loved when she's looking down the hallway or whatever and there's this huge cavernous, it almost looks like a uh, like a, a Costco or Sam's Club or one of those huge warehouse stores just filled with, with food. Yeah. It's like they can live there for a couple of decades if they need to. Yeah. You know, there's a, a couch in a seating area. There's, mm-hmm. you know, the computer banks. There's it. It It's meant to be a, a bunker. It was built for that, obviously. So to me, there's an aspect of his story that could take place there over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Just as he's organizing the resistance before they ever meet him.
1: Well, and that portion actually reminds me of the TV show uh, Jeremiah.
0: Yes. Imagine if they had done a Jeremiah-style show, picking up from there, Mm -hmm. and it essentially makes him, other than the fact that it's known he's at Crystal Peak, the name of the base, Mm -hmm. it makes him invulnerable. Nobody can touch him. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun stuff there to be had, but it's also a very different kind of a Terminator movie Mm -hmm. because it's got the action stuff. It's got, I don't want to say a romance story, but that's kind of the undercurrent or subplot.
1: Well, it's funny, because the two characters end up falling for each other, but there's very much a, they don't want to, they're not really sure what's going on, they don't know why the Terminator's throwing them together. Mm -hmm. You know, so I I liked how that played out, actually.
0: I liked it too, but it wasn't a typical romance kind of a plot line. It's they knew each other, they're going to be stuck with each other at Worse yeah. things could happen. And it's kind of a there it it's faded therefore, you know, why fight well, it?
1: there's an element of that, but there's also an element of one of those great cliches of marry your best friend.
0: Fair enough, although they hadn't seen each other for
1: True, but this gave them the chance to become best friends.
0: Fair enough. And
1: I enjoyed watching them go through the becoming best friends as opposed to so often on screen you see the people thrown together and oh my God, it's love at first sight and they're all over each other.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, establishing that they had a bit of a romantic connection before the events of the previous movie Mm -hmm. kind of set things up. Yeah. But, of course, in the previous movie, he seemed a little young to be doing some of that. but
1: Yeah, he was... 14 ish.
0: 13, 14, thereabouts.
1: Well, they said he was 13 or 14, but he was, I don't know. Well, given the way he was raised, okay. Who knows? But he was driving a car. He was driving the motorcycle scooter thing.
0: Oh, he was trained in that. Yeah. Probably eight. Yeah. Not younger. Um, The dropping of the bombs at the end, to me, that's a clear, okay. Judgment Day has happened. Yeah. Hard to kind of do any stories kind of before that. Granted, I think with Regenesis, they've got a cool idea of, okay, let's. Mm-hmm. follow the timeline through or whatever and loop it back. Again, I thought this was was good, but not great. Yeah. There weren't any particularly brilliantly delivered uh, action lines this time.
1: I did think it was funny when uh, Schwarzenegger came out with the she'll be back. Yeah. I, there were a couple of things like that, you know. but
0: none of the hallmark, oh, this mm-hmm. is added to the lexicon of, yeah. of cultural phrases or some such. Uh, The effects, of course, were really good, but I thought the explanation for the TX Terminator was a little lacking in a couple of places. Yeah. You know, does she have the same liquid metal that uh, the one from the previous movie? No, she's got an endoskeleton under it. So, okay, kind of a hybrid model when uh, Schwarzenegger is talking about his own power supply and takes one of the two power packs out and throws it and it blows up. That kind of sets up later. Okay, mm-hmm. it's gonna you know be used as a bomb, but he takes that out at one point, and it's like shouldn't he be powering down? That was his other of his two. So there was a little there that I think could have been tightened up a little in the writing. Mm-hmm. And this was fun, but to me, nowhere near as good as T two.
1: Well, and to me, it didn't end with that sense of of hope or looking forward, which even the first one managed to do.
0: But I think this one and the first one both had a sense of what story could be told immediately after. Oh, definitely. Whereas the second one, not so much. It was a little bit more of a finale.
1: Agreed. But the first one and the second one, I came out of it with a a happier, lighter feeling. Oh,
0: yeah. This was the world has just been destroyed. Let's make the best of it
1: you know and i think that's part of where because we literally just watched it and then immediately turned on to record mm-hmm. i think that's where some of my my mood and my feelings about the entire film is coming from
0: oh absolutely absolutely uh, for me part of it though was also the action sequences in the other movies had a fight to survive and you can survive mm-hmm. in some cases they they become heroic Mm-hmm. And we get a little of that here when Claire Dan's character is shooting down the, the flying drone in the building or whatever. And I like that. But then there are other action sequences like the whole bit with the crane
1: they, that is
0: just so over the top. How much how many cars can we run over? How many buildings can we knock down?
1: How much of Los Angeles can we knock out the power in?
0: How over the top can we get the, the action sequence? Yeah. And there were some pretty long action sequences in T2. Mm hmm. But none where it seemed to be the whole point of let's just have some carnage and some destruction. Yeah. And for me, in in Rise of the Machines, a few of the action sequences went on a little too long, were a little too, I don't want to say cliche or over the top, but action for action's sake.
1: Yeah, well, I felt that way when uh, the new Terminator came in and crashed the helicopter to get them. And she's coming after them. And so our beloved Terminator comes in with the bigger helicopter and uses it almost as a fireball to knock her out and crashes into her. And it's just the, you know, I can trump your helicopter with a bigger helicopter and I can crash bigger than you can crash. And so I was definitely feeling some of that, too.
0: And it raised the question of how did the female Terminator know to go there? Yeah. And that would have been so easy to address. Of once she's decapitated the Schwarzenegger one and is is doing the reprogramming.
1: And that wasn't clear to me that it was a reprogramming. It it probably should have been clearer to me.
0: Exactly. Another 10 seconds just showing that she is, you know, a screen overlay or Mm -hmm. whatever. She's interfacing. She's reprogramming. She's reading the data he's got. Mm -hmm. Boom. She knows where to go.
1: That would have been nice because my assumption at the time actually was that she was just decapitating him and being done with him for the rest of the movie.
0: No, I thought for sure, use him as an infiltration unit. Just the irony of it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense given they had set up that the original way they got hold of him in the future was he'd been an infiltration unit. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense.
0: But But also, when Schwarzenegger is not killing John Connor and just starts pounding on the truck, Mm. that just seemed a little... It came across a little silly to me.
1: A little silly, and there had to be... I wish there had been, I should say, some kind of explanation for somehow he was able to use that to shut himself down, to keep himself from hitting John.
0: If there had been some, again, do the computer overlay kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. having the two uh, uh, missions conflict or something. Mm -hmm. But it was, again, action for action's sake. Same with when the two Terminators were fighting in the military base and they're knocking through wall after wall
1: after wall after wall. And the bathroom.
0: And the bathroom, yes. Yes. They go through that just ad nauseum.
1: Yeah, but the bathroom to me almost felt like a last movie. We had the big bursts of flames during the fight sequence. So this time we're going to have water spewing everywhere during the fight sequence. Yeah. So I was wondering when we were going to have earth and wind all over the place during a fight sequence.
0: And I get there's a how can we make this look cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for that. I love a cool fight sequence. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather it be in the service of the story. Definitely. Definitely. Or at least be so amazing that I don't care if it's not.
1: Well, and I did like things like they touched on the fact that in the previous movie, John Connor had sent him back and the Terminator had Mm -hmm. to respond to his orders. In this movie, it was Catherine Brewster who had sent him back. He had to respond to her orders.
0: Again, how do we stay the same but do a twist on it?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, and there's enough things like that again two terminators come back is it the first or the second that's the threat
1: mm-hmm. um yeah
0: how do you how do you maintain the formula without being too redundant or too different it's it's hard to write a good sequel
1: yeah well and i liked uh, the way john kind of logic the uh, terminator through the now wait what's your actual mission not what were you created to do what is your current mission what happens if you do what you were originally created to do instead of your current mission?
0: Or when he was walking the Terminator through, this is how come we've got to get to her dad. Yes. You know, if I'd met her at this point, I would have realized this. This would have happened. This would have stopped that. Yeah. You know, it it shows John Connor as a smart person.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And there were enough places where we saw Kate as a smart person and an action character, a, a fitting pair to John.
1: Yes. Yeah. And both of them through these things are believable as the people were told they are in the future. Well,
0: again, we're shown a lot of this stuff. And then, like you said, it sets up. I can believe they become what they become. Yeah. So decent film, good film, not great film, not the best by any stretch. Agreed. But at this point, I'm wondering if because, again, I don't really remember much about Terminator Salvation, if that is more a further adventure in this universe or another sequel? Mm. And to me, the difference is, obviously, we're going to get the war in the future and whatnot. That's a further adventure. But to me, a true sequel would be, let's send some people back in time. I mean, do they get away from the time travel aspect? Mm -hmm. And do Mm -hmm. they get to just what happens in this universe?
1: Well, very true. Because first and foremost, I think Terminator as a movie Mm -hmm. thinks it's about the machines the terminators yeah but i think a lot of us who watch the movies think because all three of these movies have had someone sent back to help and protect john and sarah connor that that time travel aspect and that protection and defense aspect is just as integral a part of the terminator franchise
0: Well, and it's also where it clearly goes against what was stated in the first movie of they were going to blow up the time thing after Reese went back so nobody else could go. Clearly, he wasn't there to see what happened. And at least another term, evil Terminator, good Terminator, Mm -hmm. you know, evil Terminator. good. I mean, a lot more got sent back.
1: Well, either it didn't get blown up as it was supposed to or another one got built somehow.
0: Or the timeline changed. Yeah. I mean, to me, what I think would be a fun film, had they decided to keep going in this route, would have been a Terminator 1812 or something. Send a Terminator back to the great-great-grandfathers of Kyle Reese, of the Connors, whatever, mm-hmm. and do kind of like a Cowboys versus Aliens kind of a shtick on this.
1: That'd be funny.
0: I mean, you've got to plow a big train into the robot or something. I mean, do it as a Western. Yeah. Or, you know... Uh, you can't go too far back because then the generations multiply out too far. Yeah, yeah. But I think that would have been a fun twist.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, and would have given it a little bit more comedic value. Yes. So, the next decision I think we've got to make is: do we go straight to the Terminator Salvation film, or do we do the uh, web series, uh, the Machine uh, machino series, or whatever mm. uh, that pre that that I think leads into it. Interesting. So we'll need to take a look at those two things uh, and figure out where we go next, okay? But then we'll come back once we've uh, watched one of those two. Works for me. So we decided to forgo the uh web series and just stick with the live action movies. Mm-hmm. So we went straight to Terminator Salvation. Now this was the two thousand nine movie. It was by uh, McGee and it was uh, Christian Bale um, from uh, the Batman movies.
1: Yeah, Now, see, this is where you are really glad you were not in the room with us as the opening credits rolled, and we sat there going, it's Batman meets Avatar meets Star Trek meets Jurassic World. Yes. How many franchises can they throw onto one screen together?
0: Well, but When they had the guy who plays Chekhov from Star Trek on here, the new Star Trek stuff, if I hadn't known that, I would not have recognized him as such. Oh, agreed. Sounded very different. um, And just, you know, the, the situation and stuff made him look a bit different. Yes. And he did a terrific job. I mean, really, again, all the actors, by and large, did a great job.
1: Well, and this was a case where I think he needed to have watched the previous movies. To understand, okay, your character is the father of this other character and be a worthy father or an appropriate father.
0: My understanding is he did watch the first one, at least, and studied how that actor did Kyle Reese, figuring he's the same actor, but a younger version.
1: Very interesting. Because I really felt like there were several scenes in here where I sat there going, that character is a fitting and appropriate father of. And there are traits of this character that shine through in the son character.
0: Well, again, he's he was playing the same character as the Kyle Reese before, mm-hmm. which I appreciated. And that same actor in the Star Trek stuff captures the essence of Chekhov without just doing an impersonation of Walter Koenig.
1: hmm Agreed.
0: And it's it's a fine line. Yes. You know, there's an aspect of, again, in the first Star Trek of I can do this. Yes. You know, which is very much old school Chekhov, but it came across with a, a difference, a, an exuberance or whatever. So mm-hmm. he, he's a very talented actor, was well used here. And my understanding is this was going to be the first of a trilogy, um, but didn't do well enough to do that
1: interesting
0: and then presumably i don't know what the next would have been but i would have figured the third would have been they finally get to the time portal and send him back or something of the sort
1: would well, this movie have a lot of interesting callbacks to the other movies mm-hmm. in terms of some of the shots were okay that looks just like something out of t1 or t2
0: well and particularly in the action sequences
1: yes yes
0: but there comes a point with fighting big giant, not big giant robots, but, but, you know, robot, you know, Terminators, that you're going to get some of the similar stuff. Okay, that's the same kind of, you know, use of the shotgun, the, Mm -hmm. the same kind of throw the shoulder back as the Terminator gets hit sort of a thing.
1: Yeah, but there were also some nice callbacks like in this one where uh, Marcus Wright character mm-hmm. was repairing the radio and he's giving the, uh, the girl star the mic to hold and talking with the Kyle Reese character and stuff. It was very much a domestic scene, if you will, a family type moment. And he was being a father figure. And that was actually my first moment to think, hmm. I wonder if he doesn't know he's a Terminator.
0: Yes, very much so. And it was very clear later on he had no idea.
1: But the reason I guessed that was because of the scene in a previous movie where we'd had that voiceover and she had said, how ironic that the best father figure I've given my son is this machine.
0: Well, Marcus's character is also uh, illustrating one of the other... uh, aspects where this movie is very different than the others this is the first terminator movie to not involve any sort of time travel except for marcus
1: i was gonna say i vote yes and no on that point
0: it's technically not time travel but he's doing kind of the the uh captain america man on ice bit for a while
1: okay i'll give you that one
0: where he's more resurrected or rebuilt but sitting out, you know, frozen in a lab or, or whatever he was.
1: He was some uh, cryogenic, frozen, 13 years, poof.
0: Preserved, at the very least, whether literally frozen or yeah. not, we don't know. But that's the closest we got to time travel.
1: Mm-hmm. But because he had no idea what happened in those 13 years, mm-hmm. it Fish was... out of water. Yeah. And it served the same time travel purpose in a way.
0: Well not only did it serve the same time travel purpose he was the mystery figure is he good is he bad he's the one who shows up with no clothes and has to go get them off somebody he's the one who does a lot of the typically terminator mm-hmm. sorts of things yeah and then for him to have been essentially kind of sort of a half breed although very much a a terminator cyborg
1: you know, it's funny when we talked about first talked about uh, we wanted to watch all these movies before we go to the theater and everything. I sat there going, you yeah, know, there's something familiar about the title of this last one, and I went looking at my enormous to be read books mm-hmm. stack, and I found that I had bought, and now I realize watching it. I did see this movie at the time it came out. Mm-hmm. And I know it because I was so intrigued by the movie, but also by the, there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more to Marcus. There's got to be, there are holes for me.
0: Did you get the novelization?
1: I got the novelization and a prequel.
0: Who was the novelization by?
1: I want to say it, it's Timothy Zahn. I, I, have I know find... it
0: was a name, author.
1: I have my tablet. I will double check while you do Well,
0: you look that up. My understanding was one of the books, the novelizations of one of the movies, I think it was this one. The writer, after it had been approved, rewrote the thing because of the amount of script changes there were and how the story in the final movie didn't really resemble the original script he was given.
1: Interesting.
0: And I'm pretty sure it was this one, but not positive.
1: Now, it's interesting. Terminator Salvation, the official movie novelization. Well, this is a video game adaptation, and then it says Alan Dean Foster. And then I see Timothy Zahn did the uh, prequel.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think it was Zahn, but it might have been Foster I was thinking of.
1: So, But interesting, again, that it's two different authors, one doing the prequel, one doing the novelization, just going to the how quickly these books have to come out.
0: But I also think that they had originally... wanted to do more of a Kyle Reese story here mm-hmm. than a John Connor one but then when they got Christian Bale as John Connor it's a quickly let's beef that roll up.
1: Well, I think Salvation is an interesting title to choose for this movie. I'm not sure what subtitle I would have put on it.
0: I'm not entirely sure what was salvaged or had salvation as part of it other than their
1: humanity. Is my take on it. My take on it because I I liked the Having John Connor go on the radio periodically, I kind of wish there'd been a bit more of that.
0: There's an aspect of kind of the fireside chats to it.
1: There is. And to me, that's picking up on the final scene from the previous movie. Um, I really liked that if you're hearing this, you're the resistance. Mm -hmm. I would have cracked up mightily if we'd had just one cut to the big Skynet building where the computer was listening in on the radio transmissions.
0: That would have been nice. But I also would have liked before that to have cut to like a mobile home park out in the middle of nowhere where you've got a bunch of survivors and they're all like septuagenarians.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: You know, they were just out far enough. They were left alone.
1: Yes. You know, but I I liked the way that they were using the radio, that they were picking up on that, and I liked the broadcast where he called out to everybody and he said, Command is going to ask you to bomb the Skynet headquarters where hundreds of humans are being held prisoners and I'm asking you to give me it was twelve, eighteen hours, something like that, to rescue them.
0: Well, it's also, I think, the defining point where he became the leader of the resistance.
1: Definitely. He went from being a a second voice that everybody listened to and respected to him being the leader and people listening to him instead of command.
0: Well, the command infrastructure was based on a sub that got blown up, so I think they're no longer leading.
1: True, but when command issued that order...
0: But yes, he became that de facto leader because... Mm-hmm. He was asking for things versus demanding.
1: Yeah, and giving a very good reason.
0: Absolutely, and then them getting killed off, you know. But it it. it
1: but I loved his reasoning. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it was, of the machines would bomb that building.
0: It's a cold, calculated decision. We lose our humanity if we yeah. go with that. What's the difference? Excellent line, great rationale. But it also plays up the fact that between. The last movie in this, there's a lot of untold story.
1: Definitely. But that's why I say I think the salvation is the salvation of our humanity.
0: I would agree with that. That's about the only thing that I think was salvaged. But it's something that you've got to kind of read into. Yes. But we've also said how the previous movies were kind of misnamed for the subtitles anyways. Yeah. Judgment Day happened in the third, not the second. The machines didn't rise up so much as...
1: Yeah, and I don't know why I would have subtitled this one. Yeah. You see all that dead air. (laughs) I I have
0: no idea. You know, um, I would have just gone with T4. Yeah. But, you know, it's... uh, I don't know. I don't think the subtitles added anything particularly to this stuff. This was another one where I thought the effects were good. Yes. Um, there was no effect where I was thinking, wow, that's just breathtaking, amazing, or moving technology forward or anything.
1: One of the places where I thought that they left a lot of information out was when uh, Marcus was downloading what happened to him. Mm-hmm. He was reading information off the screen quickly, and we got that, You know, he donated his body to science, that Cyberdyne worked on him, that the doctor died, that the Air Force took over the project from Cyberdyne. At least half of
0: what you got in the opening sequence, though.
1: Yeah, but we didn't really get ever a why he was put on ice for 13 years if he was considered a failed project or successful project.
0: I think they had his body, but it it was clear from what the computer, what Skynet was saying at the end, that they had uh, acquired all of that and carried forth the work on their own. So it may be that Cyberdyne didn't do anything much with him.
1: Yeah, interesting.
0: Just they've got his body, they they preserved it.
1: Well, and it was interesting that they always considered him an infiltration unit to be used when the time was right. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and it was never clear how Skynet figured out that Kyle Reese was John Connor's father or why he was pivotal.
0: He may not have figured that out. Skynet. Oh, Skynet.
1: Because um, Skynet had Kyle Reese's number one on the hit list. John Connor is number two. And then all the people in the room on the sub fell under that. And they were all targeted for four days from when we yeah, were Yeah, I on don't the know.
0: Um, unless they had somehow gotten information kind of inside Connor's camp. Who would know? And that's a fairly limited category. Yeah. That is a, a really good question. And that comes back to what I was saying about the previous movie of writers writing what they know versus what the characters know. Yeah. You know, that list should have been John Connor and his lieutenants. It should have essentially been the same sort of list that uh, the the Terminatrix in the previous one
1: yeah. used. Well, and you answered a question for me that I asked during the movie, and you gave me a great answer, but I wish the movie had given it to me, which was, why did the machines recognize and accept and not target Marcus Wright after basically all but the first encounter? Well,
0: when he was trying to infiltrate the, the city.
1: Yeah, he infiltrated the city fine, but in the water, the machines basically left him alone and let him defend John Carr.
0: Yeah, but by that point he was visibly machine.
1: Yeah. And you know, now that I think about it, the machines well, the machines weren't really aiming for him or necessarily avoiding him at the dead seven eleven.
0: Well, with the dead seven eleven out in the middle of nowhere, what got me was the huge giant robot.
1: They appeared out of nowhere so quietly.
0: And it's like plucking people up, dropping them in a can. Yeah. There was Parts of that that were a little over the top.
1: I loved when that huge, huge robot machine turned out to be a Transformer with the little droidy motorcycles that came popping off the legs. It was cool and the little droidy ro- uh, motorcycles were, were neat, but it also
0: shows this is uh, they had different people doing the design mm. because those don't look like the rest of the Terminator stuff.
1: No, they don't look Terminator. They look like a cross between Transformers and Tron.
0: Yeah, it's almost like an evil light cycle, with, with mm-hmm. uh, but a dark black one mm-hmm. with, um, with machine guns that pop out. Yeah. I would almost go a little Knight Rider in there somewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can work with that. Maybe
0: even Street Hawk if you want to get really obscure oh, 80s. Oh, my
1: word.
0: But it didn't fit the design sensibilities.
1: No, but talking about the Ten Can, that was another situation where Kyle Reese really showed his strength. I mean, he's a teenager. And he's telling the adults, we need to calm down. Yeah. Our priority is to live, to make it to the next day, to figure out the next step. When they're being unloaded from these cattle cars, he's telling the adult, calm down, move with the crowd, stay in control, basically telling him, don't run, don't try to escape. You'll get shot. And sure enough, the guy gets shot.
0: Kind of a pick your moment. Yeah. He's he's very much a Connor in mindset. Yeah. And kind of part of the family naturally.
1: Yeah. He's he's a very fitting, appropriate father for John Connor. And I loved seeing that. And that goes to the show don't tell aspect of that's why these movies have made a franchise. They show don't tell.
0: Yeah. But it's one that I almost wish it was a TV series that had gone for a couple of seasons. Definitely. I think each movie... Uh, Certainly these last two, less so with the first two, have enough material and enough implied story that you could have filled it out. I mean, certainly you could have taken the events of the first movie and then finished off the the rest of that season with kind of what happens with Sarah Connor after that. Mm -hmm. And then go with that a little bit. And then you've got the events of the second movie. And then you've got another bunch of stuff, some of which they actually did in the Terminator TV series what happens with sarah and john yeah then you lead it up to what happens in the third movie with you know judgment day happening and stuff and then you go from there and you've got another couple of seasons of you know a season or two of how time evolves and john's position as the resistance is forming is he the de facto leader or other people coming in challenging it not challenging it or just mm-hmm. how does that play out yeah. getting us to this point and then you've got more that can happen after this until you get to that time portal. Yeah. And it really begs the question all of these movies do who and what designed and built that time portal?
1: Yeah. And really, at, what's the motivation? Because it seems to me, going purely on assumption, that Skynet builds the time portal as a last desperate act to prevent John Connor from defeating them. Because well, every time we've heard about it, we've heard John Carr defeated Skynet. We've come back to destroy John Carr.
0: But they had to be developing it and building it prior to having been defeated.
1: And always with the, there's a chance we could lose. Computers know the odds. Computers play the odds.
0: No, and I get that. But where would they have had the creativity and the wherewithal and the technical ability to build more than they've got? So to me, there's, there's some human element involved there. There's a potential story to be told there
1: mm-hmm fascinating concept of how many scientists minds did they effectively download when they were taking prisoners to these work camps
0: Really the only one they've mind they've been able to do that sort of thing with was Marcus here because they had that dual nervous system stuff so what I mean again there's story potential there how did that play out?
1: Well, I'm just saying about the way we saw the doctor in the machine. And I'm wondering, when they took humans to these work camps that Kyle Reese spoke about, did they basically select scientists I and create a work camp for them?
0: I didn't take that as her being in the machine. I believe the way they phrased it is that was the face they could put that in voice that he'd be most comfortable with.
1: Agreed, but I figured she had probably programmed a lot of her knowledge into a machine at some point.
0: Quite possibly, but this is also the first time Skynet really gets a voice. Agreed. And that's something that in some of the comics, including uh, one of the recent series that uh, Straczynski wrote, they kind of play with that, you know, in, in putting, again, a, a personality and a face and a voice to Skynet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of those that the franchise has a lot of story, a lot of potential, some of which we've seen on the screen, some of which we haven't. It's certainly we've seen the growth of it over time. This one had a lot more almost generic action movie scenes. The Marcus and uh, Blair as they're running out of the camp or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, explosions and stuff like that. And it it's one of those where at one point they're testing this magic signal that'll deactivate Terminators. They blow something up and all of a sudden there's a hunter killer right there. But then later they're doing all the stuff at their own base, which apparently is pretty big and miraculously invisible to Terminators inexplicably.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, they blow a bunch of stuff up and nobody seems to notice Mm-hmm. So there's 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 the logic holes like that, yeah. In this movie throughout, never to the point of wow, this is garbage or anything, but it's one of those that it did catch my attention.
1: Yeah, but the flip side is that they managed to end this movie on a note that had me feeling better than the previous one did. Well, the
0: previous one pretty much ended with a nuclear holocaust. So yes. Any other ending is going to be a higher note. Definitely. Few movies have ended on a more depressing note.
1: Well, but I guess my point is that this movie doesn't feel like as the same level of movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel better about the movie because I came out of it happier.
0: Absolutely. But I would say the only movie I can think of, and ironically enough, it was a time travel uh, involved in it too, uh, peripherally was the second of the original Planet of the Apes movies, where they blew up the planet at the end. Again, spoiler, oops, sorry. That's the original stuff. Um,
1: You're so naughty. You better put that in the show notes, if you remember.
0: I probably won't remember. (laughs) But it was one of those where, I mean, that was a a movie that, again, people, it's like, it didn't get well-reviewed, because, again, it ends on a really awful note. Yeah. And it was one where they were trying to kill off the, the franchise, you know, whereas here they keep trying to revive the franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an aspect of this that's almost Terminator-like. If you just can't kill it.
1: Yeah. Well, and I liked that this this time the infiltrating Terminator-esque being gave his life in a different and unique way to mm-hmm. save John Connor. I like that every movie has had a Terminator sacrifice himself. For John Connor, it's been one of the truisms, and except it's- for the
0: first. Kyle.
1: Ah, that's true. But they You're always right.
0: have somebody doing that. Yeah. And again, there are certain aspects where, if you were to plot the movies out, you would see some strong parallels. Yeah. You know who's rescuing who? Who's the mysterious stranger that that makes that major sacrifice at the end? Yeah. For the bigger picture and some stuff like that. Yeah. And if they had continued on what seem to be the the trajectory of individual movies I mean, if they'd done that with the last one had they done a trilogy it probably would have ended at that big time portal thing that we never have seen
1: yes yes
0: but with Kyle going back after mm-hmm. the Terminator gone back and then you know we see the progression and stuff and then we see John dying and then we see you know the other one getting sent back for the third movie you know again there's there's Strong parallels in the plot lines. This one was the furthest afield. Yes, because again, it got rid of the time travel aspect. There's really only the one mysterious stranger. Although you could argue Kyle is kind of f- fitting that other role. Yeah. Um. So they're they're doing some 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 twists and turns, as is the nature of sequels. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I would expect. Again, not having seen uh, much in the way of trailers or spoilers or whatever for the the current movie, but I would expect it to start firmly in the future as we see Kyle getting sent back Mm -hmm. and follow him through that to kind of really take the thing full circle. In other words, try to make it seem like this timeline is legit, these movies mattered, and then send it back. If it just starts in the past... Yeah. That'll seem more like a reboot to me than a continuation of the the adventure.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about how what would feel. I'll be curious to see how I feel in the theater.
0: I mean, because the the gist I'm getting is they're trying to reboot the franchise by almost telling the first story again, but things are different. Hmm. Because, I mean, people have been monkeying with the timeline left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah. And... That was part of what I enjoyed about the TV series, as they actually played with some of those concepts of when did people hop to where? Did they hop further back? Did they go forward? I mean, mm-hmm. and in that one, we actually see things moving forward. Yeah. Um, And that's one that at some point we may want to just kind of rewatch the series because it was fun stuff. Yeah, it was. Again, I would love to see some kind of how w- how do they plan to conclude that? Yeah. And again, with each of these, this, again, was going to be the first of a trilogy, as was, I think, the last, you know, whatever. Why they keep wanting to do trilogies, I'm not sure.
1: Seems to be the modern filmmaking mindset. True,
0: true. And if it works, it works. But when it doesn't, it's like, did you leave things half done trying to set stuff up? Yeah. But I'm curious, again, how the current movie does, whether it'll pick up enough to do that or not. Because at one point I was hearing, again, it was going to be part of a trilogy. They were going to do a TV series Mm -hmm. now, maybe not, maybe so, depends. And at this point it may depend how it does internationally. Interesting. But I think it's a a fun franchise. Mm -hmm. I think it started strong. It went really to its peak with the second movies. And these other two have just been, because of different writers, different directors, different actors, and so forth, and different creative process, Um, I don't think any of these movies... Have been done, any two of these movies have been done by the same production company.
1: I don't think so either. And I did think it was interesting in the fourth movie, which I felt was very accessible. When they referenced events of previous movies, they mostly talked about the first and the second. I don't think they really recapped the third.
0: They didn't touch on it at all in this one.
1: That's what I was thinking.
0: He's married to Kate, but yeah. that's just, I mean, if you'd skipped the third movie, who cares? yeah. It's it's after the war. It's, yeah.
1: Yeah. And in fact, I mean, I was noticing the year on the very first scene. And I was like, wow, that's sometime in the year of when the previous movie took place. But we're not even giving a... Oh, the rel- 2003. Yeah. We're not even giving a, a relative to those events time frame.
0: I took it as taking place a little before... And previous,
1: you know, so did I six months at least if he's going to have something happen to him that's meaningful, that's relevant to the current movie.
0: But the other thing is this movie takes place in 2018.
1: So in three years, we'll find out now. Okay.
0: So again, not as far future as it could have been. But again, at that point, it was what, 15 years out?
1: Mm, yeah. yeah. No, no, 2009.
0: 2009. So only, uh, only about 10 years out. Yeah. But there comes a point where they've got to keep certain parts of the timeline moving
1: Mm -hmm.
0: just to make some of it make sense. Yeah. And that that begs the question of if they keep trying to bring back the property, do they need to change either how far back they go to get to Sarah Connor instead of 1984? Maybe it's 2004 or something. Or do we not feature John Connor as the son, but just the grandson? Or how does all of that play out? Because you know... Thirty years from now, there's somebody's going to say either let's keep going with it or let's revive it again. Yeah, because it's a great property. It is. I mean the the
1: well, Terminator
0: is an iconic look.
1: That might be why John and Kate are having kids.
0: Probably. That way you can play, and they've never named the kid. They've just, kept some options open there. Just saying. So that would be uh, be very interesting. So, again, I thought it was a good film. I didn't mm-hmm. think it was the best of the best. I didn't think it was the worst. It had some cool effects in places. There are others where, because they've had so many of these Terminator movies, it's easy for it to feel a little derivative in a few places.
1: Well, there are moments where I'm saying, didn't he walk up the stairs just like that in Terminator 1?
0: Haven't we seen this before?
1: Yeah. And, and you know, that's okay if it's feeling like a brief callback, but...
0: But there's a fine line between an homage to a previous film or a callback and it's redundant.
1: Yes. And I didn't feel this was redundant.
0: When the robo- when the Terminator was getting the uh, the molten steel dumped on him. Okay. A little redundant. And then getting cooled off. A little redundant. Uh, when the one that was uh, uh, kind of chopped in half or whatever was going after John in the helicopter. A little redundant when the Terminator later at the end was calling for him as if he were Marcus. I, I was commenting as we watched it, we know better hell, John knows better. He's had this exact thing happen to him before. Yeah. So I think in this one, they did get a little redundant. McGee does fine films, fine action films, not deep um, and not, uh, frankly, th- this could have and should have been a little better written.
1: Yeah, well, and I think with the... Having the voice call out to him, I think that was an attempt at a callback that didn't play. And that may be because we had just watched Terminator 2. Uh,
0: to me, that's not even a callback. It's the same plot point. It is. You know, if, 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 if a Terminator had, I mean, to me, the obvious use of the they can do any voice is not only should we have seen Skynet doing uh, listening to the, the radio broadcast, they should have been doing their own.
1: Oh, that'd be funny.
0: You know, mm-hmm. imagine if halfway through the film, we get the, this is John Connor, I'm asking you to do this, cut to John Connor. It's like, what? what's going on? Turn that off. I'm sitting, I'm not saying that. Yeah. You know, so to me, that would have been a cool callback to mm-hmm. what the Terminators can do, but use it in a new and inventive way.
1: That'd be nice. So, maybe in Terminator 6.
0: Or maybe even Terminator 5. We haven't seen that yet. Very so
1: true.
0: that is our plan is to to go find a theater that's got it. And uh, go check that out. Once we've watched that movie, Terminator uh, Regenesis, I think it is, or Genesis. Genesis, maybe? Terminator Genesis, whatever the current one is. Uh, We will uh, record about that and tell you what we think. Since we recorded the previous segment of this... I went and watched the Terminator Salvation, uh, the Machinima or Machin whatever you call it, the Machinima series, which is a prequel of sorts to Terminator Salvation that was done using video game technology versus live actors.
1: Mm-hmm. And Moon Bloodgood did yeah. one of the voices.
0: She reprises her role because I think it was done after the film. I'm a little unclear on some of that, and it kind of goes into the origin of the Kill Signal. Got it. But I mean, while it was impressive for what they did, it was also you know two thousand nine ish, so a little dated by today's video game technology, and it felt a little out of continuity. Mm-hmm. It's taking place in L.A., and the way it kind of progresses and ends, it it doesn't really jive with what we see in the film.
1: Interesting.
0: It's close, but not quite. But mm-hmm. I think the film also underwent quite a few rewrites. Yeah. Now you also read.
1: I read Terminator Salvation from the Ashes by Timothy Zahn, which is also billed as being a prequel, and there are some, I'll refer to them as gyrations in the plot Mm -hmm. that they have to do to conform to what we see in the movie. For instance, in the movie, John Connor bumps into Kyle and asks him, you know, who are you? very clearly a these two have not met before they don't recognize each other they don't know each other Mm -hmm. so the book goes to great lengths to make sure they never come close enough to talk to each other At one point, they see one another maybe from like 50 or 100 feet away, just as a one of them knows somebody is trapped in a bus, but doesn't know who it is. Got it. And can tell they're being helped by that person. Flip side of the coin, the one of them that's trapped in the bus can see somebody's being pinned down by fire in front of a building.
0: It's a near miss. They could have met, but didn't. Yeah.
1: Well, and- What's really funny in that particular scene is how near a miss it is in terms of each of them makes the choice to help the other. I can't leave, in this case, a person pinned down in front of a building lying on the ground, uh, seemingly and by appearances defenseless. I'm going to fire, cover fire for them and hope I'm helping them get away. Mm And when he turns away in distraction to realize, holy crap, I'm being attacked worse than he was, I hope I helped him. The one that's pinned down on the ground realizes I've got one pipe bomb left and the poor sod in the bus is in worse shape than I am Yeah, and throws the bomb to help him. And when he gets up to run, he thinks, should I run towards the guy who just helped me who's pinned down in the bus? Or should I run down the alley that I don't know where it goes, but at least I won't be pinned down in a bus? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the, do I run towards him and meet him?
0: They've got decisions to make, and it's basically, yeah, a tough situation for both.
1: And there are seven or eight times in the book where they have that, that chance to meet, and the rider says, oh, nope, they can't meet. They have to turn left. Well,
0: there were, uh, again, the the Machinima series takes place in LA where Kyle was, and he's nowhere to be found, but there's a lot of carnage and destruction to be had. Mm. You know, so it seems like they could have put him in there but didn't. And the whole origin of the the signal in this thing gets down to the point of we should get this to Connor, you know, and that's from Moon Bloodgold's Mm -hmm. character, Blair Williams or whatever, who he, Connor clearly knows her in the movie. Yet Connor also clearly gets the signal from command, not from her. So,
1: yeah. again, certain
0: things don't jive. Um, hmm. But, again, you've got certain uh, stories being written and, mm-hmm. and produced or whatever, in parallel or whatever. You're going to have those issues.
1: Yeah. See, I there were things in this book I loved. And they were things that actually, when you and I later talked about Terminator Salvation, we were saying things like, I wish we had had signs that Skynet mm-hmm. was listening to the radio, for instance. Well, in the book, they have uh, two airplanes flying cover for the ground forces, and they're purposely saying things into their mics, hoping Skynet is listening and baiting Skynet into reacting to it. That was one
0: of the things in the movie that bothered me. It's like, you got to figure the machines are listening.
1: Mm-hmm. And at one point, uh, Blair, in fact, gets her mechanic. She's like, is there a way you can sneak an extra 150 rounds into my weapon on the airplane without the plane's computer system even being aware it's in there? Mm -hmm. And he does it, which means that Skynet thinks she's out of ammo and she still has 150 rounds.
0: Well, and that goes to the other question of if Skynet is controlling almost all the computers and stuff, how do you use modern technology to, to fight that sort mm-hmm. of a thing? Mm-hmm. For me, I didn't think the Machinima series really added to the experience. I think it's completely skippable. Um, I think a case, though, could also be made that Terminator Salvation is kind of completely skippable as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed aspects of this, but it certainly wasn't a, oh my gosh, I, I'm so grateful I read this. It suddenly cleared things up. It was just a, you know, there were some definite story elements. I was like, You know, that was kind of fun. I'm glad somebody took the time to explore that.
0: So it improved it, it enhanced it, but not necessarily enough to say somebody should go read, that's what, a 300-page novel?
1: A little over 300 pages, and I mean, it sat in my to-be-read stack for four or five years, and I hate to say it, I don't regret that it sat there four years. I'm not sitting here saying, oh my God, how did I not read that four years ago?
0: Right, it's not a waste of time, but not something that's essential.
1: No, okay. I mean if it's in your to be red stack, go ahead, you know move it a little higher in the to be red stack. If it's in the to be red stack, don't certainly don't take it out and say I don't need to have it in there.
0: But it seems to me that would be something that's would be worth doing to enhance the experience mm-hmm. of Terminator Salvation. Yeah. Not, you know, kind of essential or whatever.
1: Yeah. And it was fine as a read after the movie.
0: So, we have gone, we have seen uh, Terminator Genesis, and much like that is a retelling of sorts, but different than the first movie. Uh, this discussion is a retelling of sorts, but different than the first discussion, where apparently I uh, hadn't uh, plugged in the recorder, it was working for a bit.
1: Hence Skynet or- attacked the podcast, it stole the original recording.
0: Pretty much. Um, we're doing this on the, the Zoom H5, and... We were talking about the the Machinima series, the book, and then I guess it just stopped recording because it doesn't like me.
1: It was infected by Skynet.
0: Well, it's now plugged into the wall, so hopefully that helps. Um, Thousand episodes, a little over, (laughs) and I think this is one of three or four maybe I've lost.
1: Not bad, not Um, bad. Okay, so I get to go with my really bad joke about the title because the first time they had genesis up on the screen in the movie it looked so much like a sega product and a sega logo that if we had been in your living room i honestly would have whacked you and asked you if this had to anything to do with sega
0: yeah it uh it's funny because he's opening a present uh he is Kyle Reese, and it's it's a sega or you know a genesis i mean or whatever and it's again it, it's a video game it looks like no no it's no, you know, it's a new operating system. So, again, we've had this discussion, so...
1: But I'm going to start it differently this time. Okay, start I'm it differently I'm this time. i shock you. Um, I took the time while you were fixing technical Skynet difficulties to uh, glance at IMDb. Okay. Uh, I had recognized two of the actors in the film, uh, J.K. Simmons and Courtney B. Vance from Law & Order.
0: I recognized uh, J.K. Simmons. And I also recognized uh, Sandrine Holt, who played one of the cops, and mm-hmm. also one of the other cops, who was only in there for a little bit, from um, Baywatch Nights and Baywatch. I
1: think so, yeah. Uh, but I went looking. We had, again, you know, people should let me scream out loud during the opening credits of movies, because this would have been Game of Thrones and Spartacus. And Doctor Who. Yes.
0: We had Matt Smith in this.
1: I mean, we could have had some really great subtitled opening credits, but I, I minded my manners. I was very quiet.
0: Well, going with that, I mean, the, the films by and large for Terminator have had a really good cast.
1: Amazing. Uh,
0: a lot of people who do study work and maybe not, you know, uh, uh, front and center A-lists or whatever, but then you also get the people who are like Matt Smith. Mm. And he did an excellent job here. It was a smaller role than I was expecting. But it's also one that at the beginning, once I saw him, and I'm like, wait a sec, I know he's playing a Terminator. Mm. If they had cast an unknown in that role,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I wouldn't have been sitting there during the time displacement sequence watching the guy in the background.
1: See, I was watching the guy in the background because he was the only person who seemed to be moving towards John Connor like he was going to do something evil.
0: Well, and there's also times when the background guy is in focus.
1: Yes.
0: You focus on him.
1: Of course, I stand by my, my shock. I mean, let us review the laws of the Terminator universe. When you time travel, nothing metal can be outside your skin. And anything that is not organic, human, fleshy. Not,
0: not living.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: That's important. You can't even wear leather.
1: Yes, that's right. See, so why would you have an audience of 30 or 40 people when you decide to go time traveling and leave?
0: It's a historic moment.
1: No, I'm sorry. If I ever decide under those rules to time travel and leave, it's going to be a private moment.
0: I was going to say, if I had to go do that, Skynet wins. <laughs>
1: I did like the whole conversation between Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor that went along the lines of, you know, it was nothing personal when I was hugging you naked while we time traveled.
0: This is the first movie where we've seen the origination of a time travel jump. Yes. And we saw it uh, with Kyle, with Kyle and Sarah, Mm -hmm. because they jumped forward.
1: We saw the Terminator. We... It was in splotches, but we saw him being yeah, lifted out of the did. room and taken. We saw him go and squat into the position. So we did. But he didn't get flung out of his squat because Arnold is that strong and that mighty and he can hold that position. Everybody else seems to get flung around wildly in the, the process of The only people who tend to get
0: flung around are when the resistance is uh, setting the jumps. Um, In the first movie, Kyle got kind of flung down. Mm -hmm. In this one, they did shot for shot. It looked like dead-on reenactments Mm -hmm. of the first film, which I loved. I thought it was really well done.
1: I thought everything that was a callback in terms of footage from the first movie was just blow me away fantastic.
0: And like we talked about in the previous timeline, (laughs) uh, at some point, somebody's going to get the Blu-ray and is going to do those shot for shot comparisons if it's not one of the extras on the disc. But if it's not, it'll be up by Christmas time. It'll be up days after the film's released on YouTube or somewhere. And I'm looking forward to that because I do want to see how close were they?
1: Well, I'd like to know, did they reshoot the footage? Did they go back to the original footage before the effects were added?
0: I think in some of it, they may have taken the original film, if it was still available, and digitally cleaned it up, or the best master copy they had. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it didn't look reshot it looked yeah. a, a 100% cleaner don't get me wrong in terms of just the the crispness the and all of that but there were a number of things where at the very least they were sitting there they had to be sitting there on set okay let's play the footage for this scene this shot okay mm-hmm. let's line up the camera oh, no, yeah, now we got it okay have the guy run, do the action whatever
1: yeah it was and amazing it was really cool Mm-hmm.
0: Because while we did our homework and watched Terminator, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, Terminator Salvation, I watched the the Machinima series, you read the book, we did our homework, I've read some comics, you know, really, if you want to go into this well-prepared, uh, Sam was telling me I just needed to watch the first film. I agree with that. I do too. But I think the first film and the second film add a lot to the viewing experience mm-hmm. of Terminator Genesis. Because in addition to it taking place and kind of overlapping or replacing the events of the first movie, there are a lot of parallels between John Connor and the Terminator and how they interact, and Sarah Connor and Pops, the the Terminator, uh, and how they interact.
1: Yeah, I thought that both story-wise and effects-wise, the callbacks to Terminator 2 were so nicely done. I mean, some of my favorite effects from Terminator 2 were like the Terminator, the futuristic or most future Terminator, out don't know what In to call Robert Patrick. Means. Yes, It's uh, a T-1000. T-1000. He would kind of walk into the wall, which is a really bad description of what he'd do, but anyways, his front's now at the wall. So he'd just say, oh, okay, my back's going to be my front now. And he'd walk back towards you and you'd he just go-
0: Invert his, his image, if you will.
1: Yeah, and you'd just go, hey, that's kind of cool. Well, in this one, they use that. And I'm like, okay, we've seen this before. It still looks great. Don't get me wrong. But then there's a scene where that model is driving a car on the road and his windshield's been shot out. He's going, you know, I think I'd rather be on the hood of the car. And he just kind of dives through the windshield and decides, you know, it'd be more convenient if my hands were my feet now.
0: Now, that movie was 1991. Yeah. So 2015, Mm. 24 years later. Yeah, you have people who were kids at the time mm. who grew up on that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now working in the Hollywood industry, thinking, "No, no, I can do better," and they they Ye- did,
1: they did, yeah, definitely. I
0: mean, technology was certainly their friend in that respect, which is ironic given the whole thing is about term uh, t- technology being evil and wiping us all out. But aside from that,
1: but this is a film where a Terminator pops was willing to fight to the death to defend a human which we've seen before. But I want a movie in the Terminator series. I think it would be a great one where what defeats Skynet is Skynet itself seeing Terminators. They're willing to fight with and for humanity and learning there's a different way. We're not enemies.
0: Well, the other way to defeat Skynet, of course, is pull in Matthew Broderick, and have him make the thing play war games. You just can't win, so don't lose. Don't play. Don't fight. You know, be
1: nice. Can we put uh, Skynet in a hollow deck?
0: It's Skynet. You know, dot dot dot. Do you want to play a game? I mean, there there are a lot of ways they could go with this, but to me, the parallels. Well, the the, the action sequences definitely had some. It was the story parallels that I liked. Mm -hmm. This was a different relationship between Kyle and Sarah, a different relationship between Sarah and Pops than John had with that Terminator, but there were parallels, there were similarities and differences. It was It's easy for a sequel just to do an obvious reversal. Yes. He was the bad guy before, he'll be the good guy now. We saw Mm -hmm. that in a couple of these. We saw that in this one. Mm -hmm. John Connor is always the savior of mankind. Oh, let's do a reversal. Let's have him co-opted, even though it kind of boggles the mind, and essentially turn him into a Terminator.
1: And let's have him 100% co-opted, a firm believer, practically a cult member, who isn't fighting any of this internal change, in the least, who now wants to change his parents, be part of the perfect happy Terminator family. Well... And
0: the Pops Terminator, who was sent back, I don't know when, knew about that technology, knew about that experimentation, how it drove everybody insane, yet it just happens to work perfectly on John Connor. Mm-hmm. The Matt Smith Terminator, just or Skynet, just happens to be there in stuff at times. There's an aspect of Skynet's story that we are not told.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How did he know to be there? He He couldn't have just happened to have been there. Yeah. You know.
1: Well, and I commented in our alternate timeline that I wish they'd set up in the third Terminator film that all of these Terminators that go back in time automatically do a download and sync of all data with Skynet.
0: Well, I mean, do it one better than that. Have the Skynet kernel. Have the operating system. Have the Mm. the basics of Skynet. As some kind of bizarre fractal program or some such, mm-hmm. that a Terminator goes back, if it's far enough in the future to do a data drop, it does. If not, it's put something that somebody years later cleaning out an old safety deposit box. What is this? Yeah, you know, it looks like a USB drive. How that they had this hundred years ago? How could they have had a USB drive? Let's plug it in. Boom, Skynet's reborn. I mean, yeah, you can make Skynet with time travel inevitable. Yeah. I still want to see a Skynet, you know, eighteen twelve kind of a thing. Yeah. Where you just don't have the technology to to fight it with necessarily.
1: Well, we have the implication that John Connor came back to 2014, babied along the creation of Skynet, Mm -hmm. and seems to have told Skynet. Everything that would happen, that Judgment Day would happen, et cetera, et cetera. And it gives the illusion that he did some kind of core data dump into Skynet.
0: Well, one of the implications of the time travel, uh, as we've seen in, in Terminator, is somebody can hop back in time and the changes either amount to nothing or don't take impact on that timeline. Because going back to the first movie, a term just like we see at the beginning of this one, a Terminator goes back in time. Now at that point, there's just the Terminator back in time, nothing to oppose them, and end of story, end of game, you know, kind of a thing. But Kyle is able to be sent back, and it took the resistance a little bit of time to to plug in, go get the the uh, you know coordinate set, all that kind of stuff. Figuring the events of the original movie, Sarah would have died. In the uh, the nightclub, mm-hmm. Tech Noir, mm-hmm. which we never see in this film because mm-hmm. she's never going to be there, etc. because her timeline is different. Mm-hmm. But the amount of time from when the Terminator goes back to when that happens is same evening. Mm-hmm. Um, or was it daytime when he was looking? No, it was daytime when he was looking through the uh, the phone book.
1: Yes. So next, next day. Next day.
0: We'll say 36 hours. Okay.
1: Because mm-hmm. he needed time to kill two other Sarahs.
0: Yes. But
1: it takes a little time to kill all three Sarah Connors in LA.
0: Probably less time though than it took the uh, the re- the the resistance to to mm-hmm. send them back. So okay, mm-hmm. if you go with the elapsed time methodology of you travel back, it takes an hour to make the change. They've got an hour to do something in the future to go back before it kind of catches up to them. Mm-hmm. Um. But as we we talked about before, and we'll reiterate now for our listeners, since I've got <laughs> yes, still recording. <laughs> Um, there was in in the first Terminator two time jumps. Mm-hmm. Terminator Kyle. In the second film, we get a Terminator, uh, Schwarzenegger one, and the the T one uh one thousand. Mm-hmm. Third film, we get the evil Terminator, mm-hmm. and I think that was it.
1: Mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger.
0: Oh, Schwarzenegger! You're right. You're right. You're right. Forgot uh, about that no. So that's six. Mm-hmm. In this, it, we get nothing in in Salvation.
1: I keep grimacing at you every time you say that because I think the cryogenics is a form of time travelishness.
0: It's not using the time displacement I stuff and it doesn't incur changes in the timeline.
1: I'll probably grant it.
0: It's no more time travel than being a hermit. <laughs> okay. So in this movie, mm-hmm. we get the same equivalent but not the exact same time travel of a uh, original uh, T100 or T800 series 1000 you know whatever mm-hmm. a Schwarzenegger Kyle Reese going back we then find out through flashback there was a T1000 that sent back another Schwarzenegger that got sent back that's the Schwarzenegger we're following through this entire movie mm-hmm. um, then
1: but what who when did the cop who comes after Reese in the store? come back or is that John with a different face but I, it I think was not that, John because no, that I don't think one so.
0: was a uh, liquid metal
1: yeah that's right
0: and John is what do they call it a phased matter yeah or okay okay so something we've, else
1: we've got a liquid metal
0: that goes back at some point mm-hmm. now you could argue maybe it's the same one from the 70s uh that that Sarah Connor and Pops encountered
1: yeah they don't say they destroyed it though they do say they have a firm policy of destroying any future technology that they find, which is a Sarah Connor Chronicles reference.
0: All of the stuff we've got about the 70s era stuff comes through Sarah, who was nine at the time, Mm -hmm. and all she knows is there was an explosion, there was liquid metal, and then Pops showed up Mm -hmm. with a rocket launcher, Yes, which we've seen is insufficient to wipe out a liquid metal Terminator.
1: That's true.
0: But there's, uh, we don't have that story.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: And maybe that'll be told in the comic book, a novel, somewhere. But then we've got Sarah Connor and Kyle jumping forward from 1984 to 2017.
1: Yeah, but poor Pops can't come along. He's got a broken arm.
0: He's damaged. It allows him to be aged, which a plot can drive-ins. But they sold it.
1: Well, and they made good use of his time while he moved forward the slow, old fashioned way.
0: Yes. I thought while it may have been written that way so they could have an older Schwarzenegger play an older Schwarzenegger, it worked well in the story and it enhanced the story. There were a lot yep. of times, well, I did this while I had the time kind of a deal. It, mm-hmm. it worked well. Yeah. But with that time jump forward, There is no Sarah Connor from 1984 to 2017.
1: But she may have been a hermit, in which case it makes no difference.
0: It does in so much as the timeline required her to give birth to John Connor.
1: I agree as much as I was teasing. I firmly agree with you. The absence of the birth of John Connor bothered me for half of the film.
0: And I think this was something they touched on in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. When somebody moved forward, there was a timeline without them there. Maybe they didn't. Maybe I'm thinking of some other, uh, sci-fi series where they jump somebody forward and the timeline works out differently. Mm. Um, it's been long enough since mm-hmm. I watched Sarah Connor. Yeah, Chronicles. it's been too long that for when me when it aired originally. But in addition to all of that and those people hopping forward, we then have off screen, John Connor having been converted. Hopping back in time,
1: and we don't know how long from conversion to hop back.
0: No idea. And we also, I mean, to me, that's where the the the, the flow of events stops making sense. Mm-hmm. Because if you consider people to think that's when John died, mm-hmm. okay, Terminator goes back, Kyle's go goes back, John gets converted, everybody else is getting wiped out in the process in the future. Send John back, then. When do we send back the, uh, uh, the female Terminator and the T-100, uh, 1000s? Presumably all of that would happen around the time that Matt Smith is still in control of the, uh, the time displacement stuff. Rebels somehow come back to see, well, where's John? What's going on? Wipe all those people out magically somehow and then so send everybody else back to, to the other Schwarzenegger's.
1: Mm hmm. When Skynet has control of John, John sends back the future Terminators that he recalls from his lifetime coming after him. So he has to
0: send two Terminators back reprogrammed to protect him. I mean, to me, that's. I've got to sit down. But one of the ones that
1: came back to protect him was sent by his wife after he died.
0: That was one of them. But the one from the movie two, he sent back.
1: Right. Yeah. And it was an infiltration unit that had been sent in. To kill him that he captured and reprogrammed, which means it doesn't make sense for him to have found it at this compound.
0: You've got a whole fleet of them ready to go. Why take one who's just trying to kill you? And if you've got a whole fleet of the Schwarzeneggers, why then send back the liquid Mm -hmm. metal ones? Where did they come from? And if you've got those to send back, why not do that to begin with? Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole thing is starting out as a, this is Skynet's last hurrah, Mm -hmm. and- It's a fun film. I loved it. I thought it was great action, very well done, very entertaining. But it does bother me when you stop and think about it, or when I stop and think about it. A lot of people don't. How does all of this fit together? It starts um, to unravel a little.
1: Yeah, and well, we've never truly established how John defeats them with this Colorado attack, etc. But it seems- I'm assuming
0: a lot of explosions.
1: Well, but whatever he does in Colorado, it knocks out all of the planes, all of the Terminators, except for the one.
0: Matt Smith wasn't a Terminator. He was Skynet.
1: Yeah, that's my point.
0: So what's happened is John's making his offensive. Skynet somehow knows stuff, knows not to be at the main computer central thing. Mm -hmm. That is somehow puppeteering all of these autonomous drones we know they're autonomous because you can send them back in time and they still work Mm -hmm. okay so why when you flip a switch they all just keel over doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. that was a fallacy though of salvation as well there's a Mm -hmm. kill switch kind of a thing Mm -hmm. why would you ever do that Mm -hmm. you know um
1: well they wanted to be able to send out a signal to give orders at any time and this kill switch idea was supposed to be an override signal. They would basically say, go to sleep.
0: Right, right.
1: So I kind of sort of get what they were going for.
0: Even if you accept you can kill all the Terminators with an off the, the off button somewhere, even if you got to blow up half of mm-hmm. Colorado or whatever. Because um, that's the kind of thing. It's all like, oh, the, the Colorado offensive. It, it's gone well. I mean, I could see doing a cut right then to the globe. Mm-hmm. Colorado, boom, boom, you know, mm-hmm. Um Obviously, they didn't do that just as well. But how did Skynet know not to be there, to have a body, be in the body, be there, get John Connor?
1: That goes back to my stand that every Terminator that's gone back should be programmed to do a download and sync of all information they have.
0: Well, not only when they first hop back, I'm here, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. but keep doing regular data drums. Yeah. You know, in 1984, okay, a little bit more challenging, you got to plug in somewhere and yeah, yeah, exactly. slow baud modem. Although obviously they can do that. Once you get to today, you're you're wireless. Mm-hmm. You're 4G, you're whatever, you're good. Yeah. But
1: cuz it would certainly explain why in Salvation Kyle Reese was top of the hit list.
0: If they had done a simple line of dialogue Mm -hmm. Not that Skynet is evolving at light speed, but it's learning from past mistakes. Yes. It's cheating as well. Yes. Because John was referring to what he's doing as cheating because of Kyle's knowledge going back. But it was always kind of, you've got one timeline to go with. Mm Mm-hmm. After the events of the second movie, why would Kyle go back?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: If you thought you've seen, I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, I mean-
1: well, Kyle always went back because John always knew Kyle was his father and had to go back.
0: If you have stopped Skynet, which at the end of the second movie, you've blown up uh, all the, the, the tech, including the Schwarzenegger stuff. You've killed Miles Dyson. Skynet should be dead.
1: Should be, but as they flat out say, you know, Sarah Connor hoped.
0: Well, and they kind of say in the, th- the third movie, I mean, that's the, the reverse engineered Skynet. There's obviously another group that was doing the original coding, Mm -hmm. but there were still people being being sent back at that point. Mm -hmm. And every movie is almost a predestination paradox in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. This one is just a more complicated one that has at least two timelines Mm -hmm. because the original timeline had to happen for this movie to happen. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if with the events of this movie, does it then put it into a position where the first movie can happen? And is it kind of a, a... uh, hmm. uh, not a a circular loop, but a figure eight kind of mm-hmm. two things crossing over.
1: Hmm. It's fun
0: that it's got this depth to talk about, though. Yes, and I think that's why eventually, and who knows when, there will be another Terminator movie.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Somebody's gonna say this is too cool of a property not to continue with. Here's a great idea, let's go with it. Or mm-hmm. here's an idea, let's go with it. Yeah. Lots of explosions, a couple of car chases, somebody called, somebody Connor, and Skynet. Go with that. Doesn't even need to be John or Sarah. Yeah. This one again, though, they had watched at least the first two films mm-hmm. and and uh, really, I think, held true to that. If they had tossed uh, Kate in the future, we could at least say, oh, they're referencing the the other two films. Yeah. Um, But as it was, I really didn't see any solid proof that they'd watched. Well, I take it back. I thought there was one place where they had, like, blown up a Terminator-looking thing. and Maybe it was the cop I'm thinking of. He'd gotten shot up pretty bad in the chest, and we could see Mm. what looked like Marcus's kind of internals or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that also doesn't totally make sense, given he was a liquid metal one and should not have had any internals to speak of.
1: Well, but in the third movie... They did the, it's a liquid metal over a skeleton.
0: Fair point, fair point. They did that with the female one. Yeah. So overall, I I really enjoyed this. I thought the effects were spectacular. They had a very solid cast. Mm -hmm. They had intelligent writing. Yeah, they did. Um, The callbacks they did made sense. It was in service of the story. There was never anything where I thought, okay, they're stopping the plot so they could do this 10-minute action sequence. Very true. I thought the third movie really suffered from there. Yeah. It also didn't seem to be a cheesy post-apocalyptic kind of a thing like the fourth movie fell into for Mm -hmm. too much of it.
1: Well, and I mean, we've said before that part of what makes a good sequel is picking up a story that was good and enjoyable and adding to that yes. story in that universe. And I felt this one did that with Pops, mm-hmm. with the past, etc. And then they also took the effects and went forward. And like you were saying, they said, oh, yeah. Okay, you think you've seen this before. We're just going to up that game a little.
0: Again, the shapeshifters were well used, mm-hmm. better done. And there was a lot of you think you know what you're going to see because you've seen the past movies. Mm-hmm. You don't. And in some cases, they did reversals. Other cases, they just took it further. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they did the hook effects with the shape-shifting Terminator's arms, which was one of those the first time they did it with uh, Robert Patrick's. Yeah. And he, too, I was like, oh, that's clever. I like that. So there was just so many things like that that I was like, you know, I'm glad they found the best aspects of both movies to pull in and move forward from.
0: Were I doing a movie like this, another Terminator movie, I would, during the writing stage, certainly during the beginning of the effect stuff, when you're assembling the teams, you basically allocate the first week to, we're going to watch each of the films in the morning, mm-hmm. and when we're done, we've got a buffet, we're going to talk about them. What yeah. you like? What worked? What didn't work? All that kind of a thing. And mm-hmm. in individual movies, and then at the end of the week- how can we? How can we outdo them? How can we respect them? Mm-hmm. And again, one of the things I loved here is there were a lot of things that it's not that we'd never seen them before; we'd seen them before in other Terminator films, but they didn't feel derivative. Exactly. It's that's just how this universe works.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: You know, and
1: well, and here again, and I think I you know remarked on it early on that these felt like the right parents for the John Connor who was foretold.
0: Well seeing how Sarah Connor is interacting with Pops, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Yeah. She did the same sort of thing John did.
1: Yeah, exactly. Both
0: after and before. Yes. It's joy of time travel. Yeah. You know, and it didn't feel like oh they're doing the same joke or whatever. Mm-hmm. We didn't get mm-hmm. the Asta La Vista baby. Yes. We got the I'll Be Back.
1: Mm hmm. Um, Come with me if you want to live, basically, when she came in to rescue Kyle.
0: Absolutely. You got to do that. Yeah. And, you know, now, soldier, you know. Mm-hmm. That sort of a thing, though, not only establishes it as part of the franchise, but is the reversal. Mm hmm. Exactly. She's telling him. Yeah. You know, and to me, that's the clear moment where, yes, things have already panned out differently. Mm hmm. This is where we go in a whole bold new direction for the franchise Mm -hmm. in terms of things aren't going to be the same. Yeah. Except in the future, it all pretty much boils down to everything is the same. Yeah, well, you know. I did think their explanation for how uh, Kyle was able to remember the competing timelines was a little weak and unnecessary.
1: It just went right over my head with a, that sounded like meaningless babble, but okay.
0: It was an important moment in time. You were surrounded by the the time field, essentially. So, you get lucky you know both. Mm-hmm. It allowed the end of the movie to be kind of a predestination paradox to, to make the movie happen. Mm-hmm. They could have gone half a dozen different ways. Uh, and the way I would have gone is basically don't... um. Don't jump forward in time.
1: It's funny, talking about the very end of the movie, it ends with a voiceover of uh, there is no single road, there's no one path, this, that, and the other, and what gets me is we're looking at this beautiful scenery with a single track road going through it. Yeah,
0: I thought that was a little unfortunate because they're still, what they should have done is they're leaving the farm or wherever it was, the house they should have basically pulled further and further back to where we see over the horizon that fo- that 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 road forks in the road or whatever it hits a uh, stoplight it branches out those branch out those yeah. branch out yeah. if they had set up the roadways that way yeah and finally you're in this interconnected grid that almost looks like a circuiting circuitry type diagram
1: or a brain
0: or a brain something that looks yeah. like a grid you know yeah The other thing about that voiceover is it ends with, there will be questions and we'll look for the answers together kind of a thing. Pretty much the writer acknowledging, yeah, I may not have answered everything. You probably got some questions, but that's okay.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: I do, I do have some serious questions Mm -hmm. about this, you know, from a time travel, which I love puzzling out time travel timelines and stuff. It's just, I find it fascinating. Other people don't give a damn. That's fine. It's not, it's a story that while I was going through, there was really no words like smacking me in the face saying, oh, geez, this just doesn't make any sense. These idiots. No. It held together through that. It's only when you really start to map out, you've got a lot of time jumps, a lot going on. How, it's not one timeline. How many are there that are, that are relevant?
1: Oh, agreed. But then they do things like they bring in, uh, Officer O'Brien who was the beat cop, basically, mm-hmm. in 1984, who comes into the store and unwittingly, and I really think he never figured it out, he helped save Kyle Reese that night. And he has no idea that the Terminator was the mirror, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, but then 30 years later, give or take, in San Francisco, he's now an old man and he's a cop there as well but he sees these two people who haven't aged a day since he tried to arrest one of them in 1984
0: in los angeles
1: yeah well you know details you know, but he was a great character it was the jk simmons one yeah, and- no
0: he added a lot and he reminded me of the uh the psychiatrist the shrink or whatever from the first three films
1: yeah he helped move the story along nicely he just he was well used
0: well-used, well-acted. There's mm-hmm. Again, that's something that there's more to that story, mm-hmm. you know? Uh,
1: I felt like he played off some of what he was sure he knew as drunken ramblings so people wouldn't think he was crazy because he was smart.
0: He saw stuff that was impossible. Yeah. And that, that definitely was a turning point in his life. It would have been nice if... There had, and maybe there was, and I missed it, a line of dialogue that implied that's why he had to leave L.A.
1: Yes. He was a would... joke
0: there. He was trying to restart here. hmm You know. But, again, the whole jump forward, landing in the middle of the, uh, the freeway or whatever, I would like to compare that to the pilot of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. hmm That seemed very, very similar. Yeah. So, it's, it's clear they had watched that, wanted to at least acknowledge it, if not flat out, you know, uh, reference it or or pull it into continuity, which mm-hmm. I don't think they should have. It was its own bubble yeah. of time. But this is one where, again, we did a ton of research, more than was needed, but it was fun just to, again, fully appreciate this film for what it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a rich universe with so much potential. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another, there were a total of three Terminator Salvation books, it turns out. And I'm now curious about the third one, which apparently takes place after the movie. Well,
0: there have been a couple of comics um, not long ago, Dark Horse, I think a year or two back, Dark Horse did some. I think one of them dealt with the doctor from Terminator Salvation that had gotten Marcus uh, going with that. And another one that was just kind of a side story about one of the scientists either with Skynet or whatever. I forget the specifics. They were good. They were well done.
1: Well, and I think there was a comic book that did uh, the 1984 period as and then a bit in the 2029 period maybe that was by Zach Wheaton. Who yeah, I'm-
0: I think, again, that might have – I don't know if it was through Dark Horse or through one of the other publishers. I know – I think it was Now Comics. There have been a couple of publishers that have done it. I may go look th- through like mycomicshop.com, see what uh, Terminator comics are, see which ones I've got. Yeah. Um. Again, this was a lot of fun. Well worth seeing at the theater. We saw it in the 2D version. Mm-hmm. I'll pick it up in Blu-ray. Go ahead and get the version that's got the 3D so we've got that option later.
1: So we can be attacked and murdered in our own homes by killing machines, yes.
0: I don't... It, there was no scene in there where I was thinking, oh, well, this is clearly where they're, they've, they're doing it in 3D. Agreed. You know, but I like films that do that where 3D enhances it and not one of those where you expect to get impaled by mm-hmm. you know shrapnel coming straight at you or something. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, again that would enhance some of the scenes, but again until we see it, don't know if it would make or break it.
1: Yeah, me, I don't know. I'm still in the alternate timeline. Sorry.
0: Sorry. Yeah, I think that's pretty much all I've got to say. Again, we had had a discussion on this before we started thinking we were recording and weren't. Oh well. It's it's a fun film. It's mm-hmm. one of the. The first one since the second that I think lives up to mm-hmm. the franchise and what it could and should be. I do think at some point we will get another Terminator film, whether it's a sequel to this one by this production company or whether it's another decade or two down the line. It's too good of a property to to just shelve indefinitely.
1: Oh, agreed.
0: But it's also one that if they come back to it, I want them to come back with a, a really good film, both action sequence wise and plot line.
1: I was gonna say, moving forward with the concept, you know, the scene that they teased out with there at the end, you know, obviously we're still dealing with Skynet. As much as we keep thinking we've defeated Skynet, et cetera, et cetera, that's always going to be the boogeyman of the Terminator films. And I'd like to see that be the concept that they spin on its head. I'd I'd like to see Skynet go through an actual growth. And maybe Skynet still comes out wanting to destroy humanity, but I want to see Skynet question its own motivations and its own determination.
0: But this was the first time Skynet got a voice, got a character, and Mm -hmm. got something to start from that it could progress. True. Just like the first movie was the first time a Terminator Mm -hmm. kind of got something that we can then in further movies enhance Mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of potential there. There's also assuming this wasn't the only location of Cyberdyne, uh, time travel technology in, in some form.
1: Well, and John Connor had been helping them build that for three years. Yes. So that was future knowledge brought back, um, but they were missing most of what they needed to make it work.
0: They couldn't control it.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: Because even in 84, they had all the technology they needed to build it. They just needed the control chip.
1: Interesting. And Miles Dyson is still alive. He and his son were the ones running Cyberdyne together.
0: And presumably nowhere near the building that night when it all blew up.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Again, lots of explosions.
1: Yeah, but a whole different world at this point in 2017.
0: If and when another one gets done, I hope somebody of the caliber of the writer on Looper is mm. involved. Looper and Primer are the two that I can think of that just that the the time travel aspects work perfectly. Yeah. You know, And Looper is a really good example of how you can do a fairly complex kind of figure eight loop where you've got one timeline that circles back and causes a different timeline that circles back that almost causes the first. Yeah. And that's the situation they seem to have now with Terminator. And if we can get somebody somehow, and I don't know who would be the character, that is able to take a step back. This is everything we know from when Terminators have come back, from the newspaper reports, reading between the lines, what Sarah knows, what John knows, whatever. Mm -hmm. This part is contested history. Mm. Skynet and the humans are fighting.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: How can we put something in place? Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine a film where we see all of the different times Terminators and people have come back Mm -hmm. and preemptive actions being taken. Mm -hmm. Terminator lands- Boom! He, he's blown the hell up. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle lands. They do whatever they need to. They send him back. They they save him. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But something to where somebody gets the big picture, is able to go back before all of it, set everything up, and just start knocking the dominoes down, and just kind of rebuild the timeline as they need yeah. into a, a safe bet. And what would be funny is if all of that happens. Humanity is perfectly safe. Very happy. And we realize it was Skynet that did that. Yes. A benevolent Skynet. Yeah. So I think there's, again, tons and tons of potential with this. I felt this film, uh, Terminator Genesis, much like the first two, really put it out there and lived up to that potential. Mm -hmm. And told just some some great stories, some great action sequences, all in service of the story. Some great actors. Uh, The people who made this film should be proud. Definitely. Anything else that do it?